You better grab a drink because this is going to be a long one. This is going to be a rough one. Okay, today on the Only General Podcast, we are joined by a man who's never shy from speaking his mind. He plays in the cover band Seven Year Itch and is the reason why a band is named Spoiler Alert. <laughs> we, we welcome a part owner of GSD Productions. The man is who's to blame for my recent involvement back in the Trinidad and Tobago rock I'm scene. I'm sorry. Everybody, let's welcome... I'm really sorry. Mr. Mark Greenjob. No. The spoiler alert thing, I, I will admit, somebody came on this podcast and they said that Mark is a habitual spoiler talk in the band room. Is this true? No. it's That's a lie. It's a lie? It's a lie. I don't believe it. I believe... I, it um, goes along the lines of Mark would come and talk TV with everybody and people who haven't seen the show yet would get vexed. Because they're not saying anything. They're like, just sitting down in the corner, like, hey, did you see last night's episode? And whoever I'm talking to be like, yeah, and I will start to talk about it with them. And then you go, oh, and some person will be like, I didn't see it yet. I'm old. We're not, not going to call any names as to who's that No, I will never say Andrew did that. But, <laughs> um, or, or like, okay, so literally the spoiler that became spoiler alert was, um, did you see the Stars series Black Sails? I have no time to watch TV, but you can go ahead and tell me all about it. I don't want to tell you all about it, but the premise of it is it's a prequel to the Treasure Island book. Okay. So I'm assuming you're my age or within a decade of my age, you've read Treasure Island. I mean, everybody read Treasure Island. It's right. Cool. Even if you didn't read it, you know so, what Treasure Island is so about. So basically, I was talking to Andrew about it, and I said, you know, the only thing that sucks is we know Billy Bones... Captain Flint and, and this guy aren't going to die because they're in the book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? What do you mean? I was like, didn't you read the book? What book? I was like, Treasure Island. The whole show is a prequel to Treasure Island. No. Well, well that's that's that's, that's 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 not a spoiler. That's just you not understanding what you're watching. I mean, well, it's a, I spoil it for Andrew. So that, that's where the whole thing well, came from. Well, now I, I now I come back and I wonder. Like, let's, have a, <laughs> let's, have, let's, have, let's have a short discussion about spoilers here, actually. The thing that pisses me off is like when you're watching a show or you don't get a chance to watch a show because it's busy with life and yeah, people yeah, yeah. are on the internet like throwing spoilers left, right and center. Mm -hmm. Like it's nobody's business. But you go and you have a show like Endgame and you can't talk about it for two weeks or else everybody loses their mind. Like this is this is a double standard well, I don't get with society. Right, so I, I get a, a, a cinematic release. There are only so many seats in a theater and you can't expect a person who's working to go with it to the 12-15 show. This is true. So, and then, you know, even like, uh, you have to appreciate that even Disney gave themselves a two-week spoiler bracket before they released the um, the the new, yeah, the, the, the promo for the new Spider-Man because the promo had spoilers for Endgame in it, right? So, I think a movie, you have to give people a little time because chances are you can't go during the week. You can only go any weekends. All you right. may not be able to make the first weekend because you know what? There's only a couple of shows and they're probably all sold out or you're like me and you're crotchety. I do not want to go in a crowded cinema. On the first week. I understand uh, that fully. Yeah. But how is that different from you sitting on even before the episode is finished, you know, and you're jumping up screaming shit like, oh, oh my I God, Snape kills Dumbledore. If you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> like, like these people don't even wait. And I find uh, the Game of Thrones people seem to be the worst 
at it especially because yeah. i don't even watch that series but i know everything that happens yeah. like i fire up my facebook at like you know 10 o'clock and it's like you know dog I, dog dog gear game of thrones spoilers about by 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I can follow the whole thing but i can only imagine why is that okay in society i don't think it's okay no people don't like it it's just that people are but dicks. why do you ask do people do it they're just dicks okay they, they you know what i think people get excited when something like that happens they know they have common um tv watching episode watching friends on facebook and i think people forget that social media whether it's twitter or, or, or facebook anything you post to like that is a soapbox and not a conversation this is true right and this is why i always get pissed off people going well, it's my wall. Like I can say what I want. I can say what I want, guys. Like, it's my you, timeline. It's like you can, and I can call you out on it if I want, because you are basically standing on a, a chair in a room yeah, same and saying something shitty. And if I want to say something shitty back to you, deal with it. But th- but this is the thing, though. Like I can just so, picture somebody like sitting down, watching TV, and then on their phone, like they're watching their, they're like typing on their phone names and missing everything that's yeah, happening on the top, just for right, reaction. So if you are update, if you are literally live updating the TV show on Facebook as you're watching it, you are a pathetic human being, and you clearly don't like the show. You just like the back and all that comes with the show. So you just like the hype. Yeah, exactly. And I, I and and those people, I, I have no, I have no time for. I, I mean, they're not spoiling it for me because I'm watching the show. You're watching the show, same and time, I, yeah, and right? I also know that. Um, I have the personal responsibility for my own eyes and what I take in that if I don't see it on the Sunday night or whatever night a show is and it's a and it is a spoiler filled popular show the following day, I will abscond from social media if it means that much to me. So I, I really part of me goes, Okay, don't be a dick and spoil it. Yeah. But then the other part of me looks at people who complain about it going well, you you know it's gonna happen because it's not like it's not to say it's you just got hit by a bus and you didn't see the bus coming. That bus is on the road every day. You've probably been hit by it twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know it's going to happen. So just suck it up. I mean, it's as like I told somebody all day. It's Facebook. This is not your 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 you, bank. You your can banking. log out. Yeah. You can it's just not be- your, it's not your banking app. You don't you don't need to go there to you know pay bills. It's yeah. not. Facebook, believe it or not, guys, is not critical to living life. And this is coming wise, from somebody who's words pretty from much. Mark Granger. Facebook and this is, is not critical for living life. But this is also no, coming from it. somebody who's also a kind of a Facebook. I've admitted a little bit of a Facebook junkie. I like talking shit to people and updates. Posting talk. memes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that um, kind of shit, you know? Yeah, and the occasional pseudo intellectual conversation or, or just trolling I, I, which is I, hilarious when people can't tell the difference when I'm doing both because that makes it even better for me but you know it's, it's awesome because I, I find myself I log into Facebook say about I get to work you know log into Facebook check it and within half an hour I'm in a political war <laughs> I, 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 I don't even know how it happens sometimes and it's just like you know I get attacks from the left from the right from everybody <laughs> even people I'm agreeing with yeah. are fighting me down which but is you're the a best dick part. Chris that's why well, that's why I have a podcast, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's why we talk about these things. Because it seems to me that pe- people like, and this is another thing about social media in general, that people don't seem to realize that every time you disagree with something, your 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 Facebook your Facebook feed is going to show you that again. Well, yeah, unless you personally go and you say, "I do not want to see this," which I have to say, I like and I don't like about Facebook or, or any social media. Yeah. 
and even down to like Google Sense and that kind of shit, mm-hmm. where it's like it's pigeonholing people in echo chambers. Yeah. Where it goes, oh, Mark liked this meme. This um, page also put this, these memes out, and I noticed now for the last couple of months, maybe last month, maybe. I'm getting special Game of Thrones and like because I'm liking Game of Thrones stuff. And, and you're participating in the content. Yeah, and I'm getting feeds from pages I've never heard of in my life. All of a sudden. All of a sudden I'm getting all these feeds. Uh, like, or like, yes, I'm on the internet, so guess what? I love cat videos as well. Yeah, who doesn't? Because cats are great. Because when they fall down, it's fucking hilarious. Right. I'm allowed to cuss on this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've tagged this explicit long time. Right, good. Um, so, yeah, I get these random pet videos and stuff. And, you know, sometimes I can't catch myself. Oh, my God, who's sharing this? Which friend is this? Because, you know, the guys out there like Damien, uh, Meme Fagu, God. Yeah. Meme God and Animal sharing video. Or, or even Aaron, who loves to share all the dog stuff, right. dog he, shit with he's, his he's wife. He's a dog guy, yes. Right? Yeah. Um, it, I'm assuming I'm seeing a video from them and then I kind of scroll up and go, who the fuck is this page? What's yes, that? All of a sudden, like somebody... Yeah. No, and, but you see, this is the thing. And, and it's well-disguised advertising too. Like you don't even... Because it, it really comes across... These freaking assholes good at it. Yeah, no, but it's not just... Like there was a time when you could have gone on your Facebook feed and tell, told it was an ad. Mm-hmm. Now it just looks like a legit post and then it's only when you read it, you go, oh shit, that's... You, you scroll up and you go, oh shit, it's not even... Yeah, a, next thing you know, you, some... you bought you bought a whole year supply of dog food. Well, I would never say purchase anything but what's going to happen is my favorite now is making me be a little bit more cognizant of my browsing, whether it's on my PC or on my phone, mm-hmm. of what exactly I'm clicking. Yeah. I was careful before. But now it's... I'm now extra it's careful because what I don't want to do is give these pages who I've no intention of subscribing to, no desire to get any feeds from them, any clicks, oh, and and add them to my um, uh, I would say like preferred profile. channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't want it. Well, you this know? this is the thing, and it, there's actually studies about this going on right now, where um, Facebook purposely curates content that you don't like, so that you will have more, like there's a greater chance of you interacting with it. Because, like, for example, say if there's this one friend that nobody likes, myself included, right. um, and you see their post first because you know you have, like, like for some reason, Facebook knows that when you react for something, a certain reason. For example, I know when people talk and shit on the internet that I don't agree with. I have a tendency to sit down and read the whole thing. So Facebook then times how many seconds I take to read it. So they know that, well, he actually read this person's you know, entire post, this entire yeah. post, all these comments, he spent about five minutes reading everything. I'm going to show him more posts like this because they make their money every time you click, well, every he, time you he, post, and every time that, you share. At that point, do they know you're not interested in it or do they know you're interested? They just know you spent time. So I'm just going to share things. But I, I you think... Because I don't think you can really tell the difference unless you put the angry um, emote on it. There's no but, way to tell if you liked or disliked it unless, you know, you reacted. But... All they care about is that you spent five minutes. So but that's it the thing. means you're interested they whether want, it's negative or positive. They want to get that interaction from you. And it seems to yeah, me that some places, some some pages seem to do better with the interaction when it's negative. Yeah. I, they, I they post things to get a rise. that much attention to it. I mean, probably because we've gotten kind of numb to it now at this point. Actually, I well, in my case, I'm going to play the don't give a fuck card. Yeah. Because I, I genuinely, like... I'm not a person to get upset on about anything on the internet, right? Fair Be- enough. Because 
I know personally, I cannot express my thoughts properly in written word. Like I'll have a conversation like this and we'll get to the root of it. Um, Is that typing things for young people, man? Yeah, That's no, I, I genuinely have better fucking things to do with my time than to, to... And sometimes I catch myself doing a long ass Response post. Response yeah, on nothing. On, and then I realize I just wasted three minutes of my fucking life I'm never going to get back. But true. And, 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 and it's arguing about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? So... It's like, you yeah, know, it's it's really a hate spiral. And, you know, HBO's it making... It sense. It's like, even because my, my wife was telling me today that the last book isn't finished or something like that. And the then last two books. They're not... He still has Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring to come. Is, okay, uh, to come. But they released yeah. this shit, apparently, because from what from when I gauge on my timeline, everybody's pissed at what's happening right now. I, yeah, but you know what? I think also people need to grow the fuck up. Really? Why'd you say that? It's Game of Thrones. I mean, it's, yeah, it's no, but basically I mean, Lord of the Rings 2.0. Yeah, but it, no, I wouldn't say that. It's, it's, I mean, he is George R. R. Martin. I, you know, you're talking to someone who's read all the books, right? Yeah. I've done everything but the you history would. books. Yeah. No, because you know what? I honestly saw season one, thought this was amazing. And before season two came out, I had read the whole thing. All five. And it, I was fortunate in that I picked up the first four books already been published. And as I finished book four, Book five was released. So you hit it right on the week. So yeah, but now I've been waiting. Literally, I read book five on my honeymoon. I'm not lying to you. I picked it up on any bookstore in Barnes and Noble before I went on my honeymoon cruise with my wife. And I read that on when we were on the sea and before once we weren't doing anything or were waiting in the terminal, I read the book by to my god. Yeah, back well home. that's what you had to do with games exactly. of runs, you know what I mean? But and I've been waiting. I've been I'm married seven years now and I'm waiting on the next Jesus fucking Christ. book. So I, I mean, I have a feeling like because I was telling my wife this, he's he's going to release those two books probably in about a year or two after this this he, season the, well the dies la- down and they're going no, to market it as like this is so. different than the, it's gonna be different because they literally kill people in the first season who are still alive. They they have people alive in the books who are dead in the series, but the series did overtake the books. Uh, but that's the same. HBO was the cash in because if Game of Thrones was just a book series, nobody. What I was really there because George R. Martin was making loud cash with those books because they were, there's a reason it went the way it went. It was a popular series to begin with. It got even more popular with HBO. Yeah, when HBO takes it, for example, like my brother doesn't read books, but he watches Game of Thrones religiously. Right. I don't think he would ever pick up the book and, and be it, like, and I'm going to read I, it. And you I, know what I, I mean? Will, I, I'm going to be one of those guys, and I will see, and this is not something I usually do. The books are, of course, 10 times fucking better than the series. Uh, they can be frustrating. The fourth book, I I wanted to choke myself on it because uh, the way George R. R. Martin writes the entire series, every chapter is a point of view chapter of a character. Jesus Christ. So it's cool because you get to see the insight of a character, how they think, right? And then you also sometimes see the same event from two eyes. Okay. So one, one chapter be this character at this event, and then the next chapter will be a different character at the same event. And they would have seen the same thing go down in front of their face and view it totally differently. Totally differently. Okay, so, uh, so it, it kind of does like the back to the future thing where you kind of like see from this perspective and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All and, right. And, and, and also, if you like Tolkien, I would say George R. R. Martin is like Tolkien light. He's not, not going to spend a page describing a fucking leaf. 
Yeah, that, that's just that's, that's just why that's what basically stopped me from all talking because I was no, like, this is ridiculous. I, I understand fully. I, but he, he gets into all these songs and he gets into the law, a lot of law, a lot of history. Like, I mean, he literally also has history books. The last book he released was a history of the Westeros kind of thing. Okay. Uh, haven't read that one yet. I'm, I'm not really interested in reading that. Maybe after the entire series is done, then I'll go back and. Well, I mean, it's it's, tw- it's 21st century, like you know, fantasy. It's just something yeah. you don't really get but a lot of outside, like. The, the nice thing about it is, like I said, the, the, uh, what you learn at the end of the first book, nobody is safe. Which is People good. People die. The, I mean, everyone thought that Ned, uh, spoiler alert, everyone thought <laughs> that Ned Stark was going to be the king, the hero, and he got his head fucking chopped off in the end of the first season. Uh, Which is good. On I mean, top of that, Sean Bean also, uh, short of uh, Mark Addy and, and, and Lena Headey. Mark Addy, not so much. Lena Headey, yes, everyone knew her from 300 and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sean Bean was the big actor on the show. Yeah, he was the pull. He was that well, guy. He was, he paid he was the guy before. that everybody knew. Yeah. Right? And they killed him. Boom. That was all. I, that, that is actually what grabbed me. I was like, oh my God. And the, the, the series, for people to sit back and rest, the series is all about subverting your expectations on something. And people just expected. Um, again, spoiler alert: Susie to die in a little bit more spectacular way on Sunday. Yeah, and and well, she died in a very plebby kind of. She died almost the same way as most of the other people in the city when it or was. Or did she die? Well, actually, you know what? Shit could happen. You never could tell. She just might be trapped underground screaming. I don't know. It's Would typical, it? typical HBO, and HBO has a tendency but of really. They have really good directors. They have some of the best in the business when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's just giving you at just the same enough. Time, and leaving. I think she's dead. You know, I say no. I think they're dead. Here and your brother are dead, but that—that's my belief. I'm pretty sure. I don't think they're coming back from that. Long and short, though, is the show has a history of subverting expectations. With and I think people have looked at some of the grandiose things the series has done, and set their expectations to grandiose for all these characters, when. Sometimes people just die from rubble on the head, man. That's that's pretty much it. And you, you know, know, if you think about it, as like um, because every time these series and stuff come out, they get a lot of hype for the, like. I think I try to relate it to bands as well. The first two albums are always great, and then when the band matures and then releases this third album, that they kind of like put thought and stuff between because you know they go through a lot of shit when that. Oh, I was just say second album shit, the old sophomore slump. But I don't know. Some they have some been some great second albums. I mean, let's there's use no doubt. There's no doubt. You know, for example, let's use a good band that everybody talks about, Foo Fighters. Their second album was... Was better than the first. Was spectacular. Yeah, but I think that's also... Color and shape. Like, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. But when you consider... I I also consider that their first album because um, the first one was really a demo that Dave Grohl wrote. He played everything himself. But it was still damn good. You know what it was? I, as as much as... I am a massive Foo Fighters fan. To me, they're one of the best bands ever to grace... one of, one, one of the last true rock bands they, that still tour and stuff. Well, there is I, right we now. had this discussion. I can't who it was I was talking about it with this weekend. Um, they are the last band that could actually sell out stadiums oh, yeah. on their own. In a big way. Right? In a huge way. They are the, own, the, the last band. And, and when you think about it, that was what, 94, 95 is when they came out? Whatever I think 96 was when Big Me dropped. Right. And that was the first song that like kind of made them kind a little of, more yeah, the mainstream. Video, yeah, yeah. Um, With the Futos. Yeah. They came out same time as <laughs> Ironic. So, 
they're the, the, the only band from that era come forward that could send Wembley out to Wembley Stadium out two nights in a row. Two nights, two fucking nights. I know, right? That's, and they could go Argentina and sell out River Plate. It, it, Humongous. I mean, like they, they could go Madison Square Garden and literally sell out the entire garden on multiple nights in a row. They're the last great arena rock band. Yeah. And if you've ever seen them, I, I, I consider myself fortunate to have seen Dave, seen Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl is the consummate front man. He's a boss. He, and let me tell you something. When I saw them, uh, when they were doing the Wasting Light tour, so like White Limo and yeah. uh, the, the, what was the other song? Post Learn to Fly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way after that. I mean, this is three albums ago. Okay, right. yeah, they, and these were that was even a good <clears throat> album to see. It was that like was, an all no, right to, to me. No, that album with Wasting Light and um, White Limo and um, oh, I'm trying to remember the. Is that the one they recorded in their house, or is that the one? Yes, the one they recorded in the house. Right, okay, right in Dave Grohl's house, uh, with Butch Vig producing, and they got Chris Novoselic to come play bass on a track. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, got, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, that was the like the return to form. Yeah, and that album was. Color in the Shape Part 2 for me. Yeah, because the album right? after that was not good. The, the, I actually liked the album after that, and I liked the concept. It was not as good as, but it was good. Yeah. We I can't down. say I really fell in love with the last album, though. And I was literally just listening to it in the cars I drove up. I, I actually liked the last album, but I just find they took some chances that are like, you know, kind of... Yeah. Remember, they have to... And this is one thing I like about the Foo Fighters. They are one of the few bands I think have grown with an audience. They appeal... To like every generation that they yeah, can possibly yeah, yeah, appeal, because I know "Run" is not a song for us, but it's like Run a, a awesome song. Though. It's a song for like our Run kids. Run is great. Though. Run, Run is a great it's track. Like, I, I, to me, I, I remember when I saw the, when they re- dropped the video. I yeah, was like, but he threw it off. Well, not only that, it was. Um, I was the like geriatrics. Oh I was like, oh my god, is old people metal soaker? Is this is awesome? It was great. No, Run is good. Now, it, it, mosh, it was geriatric mosh pit. Geriatric what, mosh pit. So, it's kind of like a beat. Like Grunge Tree the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Geriatric mosh pit. But, my hip. but the thing is, it's like you, you sit down and you look at, you know, you try to apply this to some of like the older bands in Trinidad right now that still make music. I think like the inserts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Skid Valley, we can say is an old band because they're around 10 plus years. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Having to grow with your audience. I think that's something that we, our bands have a tendency not to do I think to an extent okay so I think when I, I don't I, I I wouldn't say that okay um how to get on that so because I mean I'll use an example I last saw insert about January right so when I saw insert last I didn't go skyrock um regardless of what everybody may think I don't play a mindscape but I didn't go <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go skyrock you just throw them no I have people have actually asked me if I play a mindscape because of the memes <laughs> <laughs> or do I? <laughs> no, Mindscape's a good band. Chris Mine's, can't play for them. I, uh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm good. <laughs> but I'm not that good. Buck is a beast. But no, but um, insert best set, I think, at Club Rain. They played stuff off Smiling Still. Smiling yeah. Still was my breakout album in 99. Yeah, you know, but I think, see, what happens is that's your nostalgia kicking in. So the newer stuff, I know... Um, talking to Scott and stuff and, and knowing what Scott because uh, Scott used to be in 7 H, so yeah. and, and then when I got fuck I knew Scott 20 plus years now we all know Scott long time right he old um, too and 
we we always would do these what we call music appreciation limes mm-hmm. where you basically everyone has their iPod and they play a song each and we just oh just man your old shit. iPod mark really yeah, or whatever or we stream it or whatever you know and um I've I I've seen what Scott's been listening to when yeah. even when Insert was kind of defunct and not doing anything. Right on hiatus, if you want to call it that. That right? was like the post-Dead Fairies. Uh, yeah, I, can't, I honestly can't remember the album when they, they kind of... The one with the planes on it, with the plane and the drum. That's Futility. Futility, yeah. Um, I wasn't so in the country for that one, so I missed that I one. Ca- I can't remember. Basically, the band, obviously they didn't break up because they're back together now. So I, I would say they went on hiatus, right? Took a break. Yeah, Scott had uh, his daughter... And all these things, and married, and you know, life happens, right? Ha- yeah, life happens. Um, Scott got big into like the Mushugas and the peripheries and 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 all that, the real pro- stuff. The, yeah, yeah, and the proggy. He needs an eighteen-string guitar. Millen- millennial metal, I like to call it. Sure. Um, I think that this is a service music that it doesn't really necessarily need, or because it's shitty enough as it is, in my opinion. But, um. He got big into that stuff. Yeah. And I think it shows in the new album with the tones and the sounds and the vibe they're going for. Um, but to his credit, you can still hear the original Scott Johnstone. You, you, you can pick his tone out of a basket well, of tone. Well, even the tone is, 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 is Scott's pocket and his groove and his sense of me- you know it. Um, yeah. a lot of melody. And harmony and stuff like that. It's, it's Scott. It, it Scott. When Scott writes something, good, bad, or indifferent, Scott wrote it. It's a, it's a Scott riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah or, you can or, pick or, it out. Or just the the way it's delivered and what he would put on top of it and that kind of stuff. It's it's, it's a Scott. It riff, has yeah. that. It has that. I like to call it the um the John Stone honk. Yeah. In a sense that the way it's like I always know anytime Scott plays because you always get that kind. It almost sounds almost hollow. Like I mean, it's a heavy, heavy, heavy tone, yeah. but it just stands out and it makes by yeah. itself. Like you can pick it up from from a pack, and yeah. he's one of the few local guitars I think that are like pretty good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know it's him when he plays now, which is important for every band to do because you need to have your sound. I mean, you'd have your signature sound. Yeah, I mean, and uh, that's always a real tough road to go down to, because I mean, you can have a signature sound that's lending or leaning towards like Scott's own is definitely a more modern metal sound, but in the context, it works. You see, I think. Like I've, I've always, people always ask me about, or we get into discussions about tone and that kind of shit. Yeah. And I, I, I'll always say there's no such thing as a bad tone, just inappropriate. Inappropriate tone. Right? Yes, I've heard you talk that already. And um, I, I will stand by that till I die. There's, there's, there's never. It's not that it sounds bad. It just doesn't work in the context of the song you're, you're writing. In other words, you're not gonna put Santana to play on Metallica album it's gonna sound like shit you're not gonna put yeah, Kirk Hammett to play Santana because it's, it's, it's gonna make Santana sound even worse than your already sounds ouch so no but I understand what you're saying now let's go back to like growing with the time so you're saying that Scott listens to new music and mm-hmm. his new riffs because I have heard some new riffs and stuff that he's been working on because we talk tech all the time because right. we're a bunch of gear nerds um, you know this stuff I hear it sounds like insert but it's like new mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's like, the point to the point now when, for example, oh God, I'm trying to think of a local example of bands that just kind of fell off because they just didn't want to grow with 
the scene. That's 90% the bouncer turned up. But why is that always a problem? Because you go to a show like Grunge 3 I, and everybody I, wants 90s, right? I, I, I can't um, say, boy, Chris, because I think... Um, Trinidad really is, unless you get out of here music-wise, it's a little easier now because we have the internet and, and all the facilities out there to, to, to Apple Music and you can market your music a lot easier now than you could yeah. in the 90s or 2000s. Um, but I think people come out, they write, and then what? Yeah, and then what? And then what hits them? You know, uh, it's it's kind of like, okay, I got these cool 10 songs. And then what? Like I'm not gonna call names on certain bands here, but I, I know one band that's been playing the same fucking set for the last seven years. Yeah, I don't. I really don't understand and, that either. Like it's pressure. And I and I and I try to be nice about it. And I always go, "When's the new material coming, guys? Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Oh, we're in the studio. We're doing well, no, this. Well, no, not even reached the studio. Was like, but yeah, I think like, motherfuckers, you 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 practicing twice a week the same songs for seven fucking years. When does it get boring? Yeah, well, man, let me tell you something. I remember when I was um, 17, 16, first band. Started with playing with them when I was 15, right? Um, this was a band called Singe. With Singe. Adam Murray from GSD and Orange okay, Sky yeah. and, and Upset the Order now. Um, tattoo artist Ryan Rock from mm-hmm. Sinful Skin. Okay. So I blame Ryan for getting me into music. Same way you're going to blame me for getting back into music. I blame Ryan for yeah, getting music. Yeah, but come, it, right? come on. No, not just getting back into music. You know, I play music right. by myself, but I know, I know, know when he did come. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still, it's my fault. I'm sorry. Well, okay? you should be glad. Yeah. No, I, I apologize every time. So, yeah, Ryan. Uh, so, yeah, Adam. so basically, I saw Ryan playing guitar in school. And I was, for some, whatever reason, when I was younger, I had a real affinity for bass guitar. So, Ryan playing guitar. So, hey, man, I know he's rock and roll in the school. That's fucking awesome. I want to play, I always want to play bass. He goes, hey, well, the guy I can't jam with who drums, his mom has an old bass. Yeah, well, where Turns you out his mom up? was Bernadette Scott from the Love Movement. So we had a little band room to jam in the Love Movement area. You're lucky. And the bass was donated to Love Movement from Joey Ningwai. It was an amazing, I think I ate his P bass, but left-handed. So I had to restring it and... Play it upside um, down. Play it upside down. Um, so that was fun for learning. And... Every now and again, if I was lucky, I'd sneak it out of love movement, take it home, practice, and take it back. And eventually, bought my first bass, coincidentally, again, from, from Joey, Joey. Ningwai, yeah. which is a whole nother, I do not know the seven. I, I know how, I don't know how the, it came, because this is before Facebook, it's before the internet, even, really. Yeah. Well, 96, so the internet was there, but I mean. It was it, slow. It was, it, but, but it was yeah, it was you know WoWnet and 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 whatnot, interserve and shit. People like that. people didn't use but they it weren't, for that exactly, and it was literally my uncle's sister-in-law knew Joey. I don't know how Karen knew. I wanted to buy a bass. I guess maybe my mom had mentioned it to her, whatever. And somehow she heard that Joey, who she knew, was selling a bass. I said, "Hey, well, my my brother-in-law's nephew is looking for a bass." Blah blah blah. blah. So and so you just you just happen to take the sale. So again. next thing you know, joining Y rolls up to my house, picks me up in West Warren, drives me down to the Imaging Company band room. Or, well, they no, they would have been Second Image back then. Um, nah, they were they were Image. Image. Oh, it wasn't Second Image. It was no, after it was, Second yeah, Image. Yeah, it, it was ninety six. Is after yeah. Second Image. Yeah, around whatever. whatever. It whatever was Image. Were there, yeah. And 
there comes out this amazing Yamaha bass. Um, and I got this killer Yamaha RBX 800A, which I still have. It don't work no more. The electronics are screwed. I need to fix it over. But um, got you, this kick-ass bass. You don't that. let it go. No, you know, it's, it, it, it is an amazing instrument. And it's just literally, it don't make sense to spend the dollars on it right now because the electronics all have to change. The bridge has to get done over, so I have to buy a used bridge, which That's, I means I'm probably yeah, gonna buy yeah. a used guitar to get the bridge. I might as well actually. I I was actually contemplating just buying a next one, another one, and bastardizing it. Yeah, just get because it be cheaper. Stuff, I can, yeah. I can probably get a cheap or used beat up one for three four hundred US. Pickups cost three hundred four hundred US. So yeah. it, I might as well just do that. And just, yeah, I might as well do it. And you know, uh, and at the end of the day, it is like what a twenty year old, twenty five year old bass, yes, and, and it's, it's not really like days. vintage. No, see. but you know what's going on? It actually is. I I was very lucky. Uh, it was an amazing sounding bass. I did not realize how good it was until owning it for many years. And other bassists coming up to me going, Jesus Christ, this thing sounds fucking amazing. Your bass cuts and you mix it. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm just like, oh, it's just my bass. This is what yeah. I got. I mean, before that, I almost, the, the op- other option for me back then was buying from Sagums or Simons. Sagums, yeah. Right? Yes. Going to you can get TV and a RP, base, eh? RP, RP, yeah, New yeah. Zenith dealers, you know. And I um I was I down this old Hondo P base. They had yeah, yeah, oh god, yeah, they were Hondo dealers. And um I think back then, big money, twenty five hundred dollars for a Hondo, which really and truly, by today's dollars, that is fender P base money. You're paying for it, but because yeah. There was no internet. There, there was, was no, no internet. There was no guitar center musicians. No friends, musician Samash, musician. Sweetwater, to go on and tell these fellas they're, they're ripping me off. There was no skybox. There was not. So it was like yeah, you, you sit down and you look at the cost yeah. of those things back in the day. It was, it was like sick. what they were. They were really. I mean, okay, they were making some money on it. I understand they had to live, but good God, it was it was rough. How how much you had to pay for instruments and, and gear and stuff Kids like that. Kids have it so easy nowadays, eh? Yeah, access to not just gear but information. Oh god, so much easier. But um, so yeah, where was I going with this? So um, the bass that you couldn't repair and you bought it from Joey and you ended up playing yeah. in Singe. You're talking yeah, about so Singe and the same set list that you paid. Played. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I I ended up leaving that band. Right. So we talk about the whole thing not playing same seven years playing the same set list. Yeah. But so basically, what it was from 1995 to 97 into 98. Um, I mean, we are horrible musicians. We are all learning. It took us two years to write five songs, right? Because we were still learning our instruments and yeah. When and when you're that age, like you want to do certain things. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I understand and, fully. And not only that, it 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 took us a long time of practicing once a week to actually get that one song sounding to tight. how you want it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then we move on to another song. Now, I mean, I'm more seasoned musician. Now we could, I could write songs a lot faster. You could crank it out. Exactly. I, I like to think so. But everybody's um, level has raised as well. Oh god, yeah. So I mean, but it was legit. I remember after our first gig in Flags Car Park. Um, <laughs> Flags, yes. Man, let me tell you something. That that gig, Adam Murray reminded me because we were talking about it. That was our first real gig. We played in Jared Kenny's house like two weeks before that. Our first official gig. Um, for, I think for the sons Daniel was like my cousin's mm-hmm. birthday, and that flags one we kind of begged our way 
Jason George pulled some strings for us and got us on. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with begging for a gig. Yeah, I feel like I begged for a gig all the time. And he was like, all right, you're the Bly Band, you're going first. Cool. And for those of you who don't know where Flags is, Flags was where Blooms is now in Marvel. No, next it is where... Next it will... Um, oh god, Denny's, Memory Bank Denny's. Denny's was right. That's which that the construction again. Yeah, so that was that block that was flags, right there. Right? So perspective um, for those who don't know where flags. And was. they did the whole car park set there with all the bands. And the same night we premiered, jo- um, Orange Sky was their first gig after John Lesai had broken up. So and then post Orange Peel, Orange Sky. Well, Orange Peel was before John Lesai. Then it was John, John Lesai, Lesai. Then, then Orange, Orange Sky. Sky. And um. Swarm, which was the other half of our... So basically, when our John Desai broke up, uh, Robert Beaton and Arthur Reed, who yeah. were touchdown guys who started thing, they went to this band called Swarm. Swarm. And then Nigel and Mark did Orange Sky with, with um, oh God, Rene Corriott and, and Richard Hall and The, the and legendary the, Orange Sky. Yeah, the, the original reggae version, uh, kind of fusion version of them. And uh, that was also their first night. So it was one of those things that went like, oh my God, I'm playing on a stage with... Orange Sky. Well, well not that. Back then it was just Nigel Rojas. Cause I, I, and Arthur. I, and Arthur. These are all people I... Well, like I, my family knew Arthur from South. Yeah. Right? Um, Coincidentally, the gig is down I the was, street from Caribbean Sound Basin. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is where every big time producers recorded, and stuff yeah. recorded. Not just big time producers. Um, like foreign people, like... Uh, no Diggity from Black Street was recorded there. Puff Daddy, Notorious B.I.G. B- yeah, all of them recorded in that studio. You don't realize if you're going to look it up, they're, they're recording credits. If you look at yeah, you look at line and notes, there's a lot of stuff. Because Arthur told me when we were recording our GST mixtape thing that Kansas was there when he was young playing with Nigel Rojas post touchdown with John Design. Wouldn't surprise me. So, yeah. So the big premiere. So, yeah. So, Singe, so basically, we played a gig. And I got the live bug bitten in bad. That happens. That happens. Bad. I was like, this, this is why I wanted to play bass. This is why I wanted to play music. The adrenaline rush from playing on stage, as bad as the gig was for us, right? Yeah. Um. So I'm not saying Adam was out of tune, but Adam was really out of tune. And I thought it was me. Was he playing was a Gibson? Gibson? No, no. He was playing a, a Star Force. Um. <laughs> Into a crate solid state. It was my Hells yeah, that's Tones that's the good shit. Tones and no mids. All right. Um yeah, anyway, I spent the entire gig thinking I was out of tune and I what what would happen was Adam's on my side of the stage, right? And we'll stop after the song. I'll turn to Ryan and go, Ryan, because no tuners, but Yeah, this is the, you board. didn't have no pedal no tuner, pedal, you know. You plugged straight into your amp. Yeah. And that and was you tuned it. before sta- you went on stage. You had we had like one of those boss um the TU8 the that T- they was T- pulling yeah. to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, little needle, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would go, Ryan, let me hear E-string. And oh, you, you, and on stage. Bro, and bro, 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 bro. And I was like, no, I'm good. Start the next song. Fuck, I'm out of tune. And it's only after the set. So I was like, Adam. And I, I, it's just, you know what it is? It's inexperience. It's nerves. The yeah, 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 you know, start. You I didn't, just want to play. I, yeah, I just went... I. It's only after he said, when Adam, let me hear you straight. It's like, it was you. Adam will say it was me. It was Adam. You have to get Adam on here to defend himself, you know. Adam, come defend yourself <laughs> by Mark Trudy <laughs> under the bus. Oh, that bus ran. Anyway, long and short was, um, after that, I remember, I, I mean, 
I'm pretty sure I'm remembering it correct, and, and Ryan could probably correct me. Um, but I remember him and I having the conversations like, yeah, we need to get more gigs. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. You had to play now. Let's, let's write a couple more songs. Let's get more gigs. And he's like, nah, I want to I wanna tighten up what we have. I was like, we... we it's like we shit, we can't get the same title. We need to write more and need a gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want and to play live. Yeah, you know? and um, basically, we we had our disagreement with that, and I and I I was probably no, I'm just as stubborn as I was back then. I I ultimatum time. Well, if we're not writing, I'm not playing because it don't make sense for me because I'm not gonna go in woodshed for two more years for another gig. That's true. And. Now talking to Ryan years later, I think he has a uh, he has anxiety about playing live. Like it's to make him real nervous and stuff. And I understand that. And I think that's why he went that way. Because if anyone don't know or just know Ryan for tattooing, Ryan's actually an amazing guitarist. Uh, one of the cleanest guitarists I've you'll ever hear. And most like focused player. When he sits down to learn something, he OCD levels of wow. get it right. So he, he's a he's the kind of guy that would spend hours trying to perfect one getting getting a riff get right. It down right. Yeah, that's that's the guy. And, that, and thank God that's your tattoo artist, right? Yeah, for real. <laughs> you would you would want that kind of level of detail because you have you have no miss you have no do overs yeah, yeah, with yeah. tattoos. Now, from that perspective, in your first band, do you think that bands tend have a tendency now of like just. Like, what do you think is, now that you're older and look back at it, do you mm-hmm. think Ryan's idea was right or do you think your idea was right? I mean, I know you're probably going to say that. Oh, I'm always right, so. You're always right. But as a young man starting out, how important do you think it is to play that first gig? Uh, it, it, monumentally important. Just, now, it didn't have to be, we got maybe, okay, we got a gig that we should not have gotten as a new band. Yeah. You got a blind gig. I, I got, we got a super fucking blind gig. There's no, there's no two ways about it, right? We got put on a professional stage with professional level bands that play, have been playing years longer. Seasoned than us. musicians, yes, seasoned bands as well. Add some musicians. I know, plebby me, right? Yeah. With my same Yamaha RBX, doing own a proper bass amp at the time, getting on stage, right? Um, I should have been more critical of myself after but I was too inexperienced to retell really where we fucked up mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that's to our detriment I, I was ready to go fuck it this is the best thing ever I want to do it again you want to do it again and, and it, I think people have to realize that you need I mean okay now um, I will have a horrible gig and I'll know and I could probably tell what was wrong I have a, a thing where I would, no matter what band I play, I record us live. Yeah. Right? Um, I sometimes, depending on the gig coming up, will start recording band room recordings. Because in the heat of battle of a jam, you miss a lot. And the only savior is that recording because the recording doesn't lie. Yeah. Right? Um, and I, and I, I take what I do very seriously when I go and play live. And I... I I want to give the audience who paid money to see me on that stage. Or or even better yet, they didn't pay to see me, see somebody else. I need to impress them. Yeah, you need to give a good show. I need to know that they enjoyed whatever, whether it's my cover band or my original band or whatever project I'm in. I need to know they enjoyed it. 
Because then what the fuck am I doing there? Yeah. I'm not there to fucking masturbate and play music for myself. This right? is true. I mean, I, I'm not doing something I don't like, but I need to know that at least what I'm doing, somebody else enjoys it. I like to think, I like to get that positive feedback that I'm writing, either wrote a song that someone likes, or I picked the correct song to cover and I did it well yeah. and people enjoyed it. So, but, but new bands, because mm. it seems to me like it seems to be a trend. Like, I don't know if you've seen the meme with the stairs, yeah. where they, they <laughs> skip all the stairs and they immediately want to go to the um, studio. Yeah. How important do you think is jumping into the studio to record your Depends album on the versus... Depends on the musicians and the band and the project. Because if skipping the live process was so detrimental, then mixtape wouldn't happen. I right. get, it. I get. It. I see what you're saying because I've seen like I've seen younger bands, especially younger bands here in Trinidad, even some older bands. No, too. so like younger bands with unseasoned musicians. No, that is the absolute worst fucking thing you can do, unless you're maybe um, a younger solo artist and you have some seasoned musicians working with you to produce your stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, and then it's kind of Jesus take the wheel, help me write my stuff, and I, and then you better listen to what people are saying and go with it and. Uh, or at least take the advice um, and try it their way. Try it your way. See what happens. Um, but no, f- a band of 18-year-olds or, or younger, motherfucker, get out there and play. And, yeah, and road test your music, right? But road test Because I see, I, see some, I see plenty of young bands. Not just in 18, but like, you know, mid-20s and stuff like well, they play a young one band. gig. They, 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 they're, they're young they're band. They're within you twelve you. months, right? You, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you play a gig and then you immediately want to be like, "All right, let me go in the studio one time." Um, to me, I think I, the studio process lies a lot to you as a seasoned I, musician. I don't know. Uh, it's like um, it depends on the, what the intention of the studio is going to be. If you think you're going there to write an album and all you have is twelve songs, you're an idiot. Why do you say that? Because you cannot write a twelve-song album with twelve songs. Some get thrown out. Majority. When you listen to interviews with Billy Corgan and they're talking about Siamese Dream. Or sorry, not Siamese Dream, uh Melancholy. Well that was a double album. That was, was twenty four du- tracks. And, and they, he said they had forty plus songs slash ideas. Jesus Christ. You so you have to realize every ten or twelve song album you've picked up as a music fan, there's a reason there's a thing called a B side. Because yeah, you have a lot of shit because that out. shit was recorded, and just didn't make the album, right? You cannot say we've written twelve songs. Let's go and record an album. No, you write twenty four songs, and then you choose your ten best for an album. So, what do you think about the new trend now in music where people are releasing singles as opposed to doing the album? It's fine. I I don't care. So uh, if it, so, you could release twenty four um, shit singles as uh, opposed. To, I mean, well, yeah, then, the then you won't thing. get a, then you won't get a sale. Who gives a fuck? It it doesn't matter. If I'm buying an album, I need to know you put some thought into this compilation of your songs. Okay, it should be cohesive. It should have a certain vibe. It should tell a certain well. Whether it tells a story, it should be a complete package. Exactly. Then. I I I don't want three good songs and seven fillers because now I'm gonna be upset that I spent my money on it. Okay. The right? days of the, the days of like having a single to push an album, and then you just throw garbage behind it. Yeah, because fuck that. I mean, they're still doing it, but I, I, that's why Apple Music does what it does, and you just buy the song. This is why we're in the position the we are. Era. Yeah, this is why we, people don't trust albums anymore. There was a time when 
you know, you got Dark Side of the Moon or, or The Wall. But Dark Side of the Moon is only eight tracks, eh? Yeah, but it's eight amazing, amazing tracks. tracks. Yeah. Right? Um, or, or even Animals, a 45-minute album. Animals is really good. Wish You Were Which, Here is another right? classic. Yeah, but even and I, Animals is probably my favorite Pink Floyd album of all time. But when you look at it, you see five tracks and then you realize the start and finish track are only two minutes long each and the three middle tracks are all 12, 15, and 18 minutes long. Yeah. And they are some of the best prog rock, like classic prog rock ever. Right? Pink Floyd's, um, uh, uh, they're, they're masters of that shit. But with, without even getting into that, I would quicker say as a new band and if you have 12 songs and you realize the crowd reacts to two just record just, those just two. Just record those two. So and, get, and try and get that pushed on the radio or the local DJs just to spread your things. And then, then say, okay, we need to write more. And then you start to judge by... The, the audience is your barometer. So if people aren't reacting to your song, cut it or rework it. Because at the end of the day, no matter how much you love that song, you're not really writing it... I mean, you're writing it for you to be cathartic and, and to whatnot, but... At the end of the day, the people who are buying it, whether it's the ticket or the, the song to download, is the audience. You you and your mom aren't paying your life. You, you, you literally not, can't yeah, support yourself. I understand what you're you know? saying. It's not just five people sitting down buying the album. You expect yeah, to have yeah. at least 500 yeah. people wanting and to buy not, that album. It's not a sellout thing. It's literally throw shit against the wall till it sticks. Right. That's basically what it is in a and, band. And, it, and, and it's also a matter of like, Okay, maybe people aren't taking this approach we're doing. Maybe we should change our approach. There's nothing wrong with changing your approach. Look at a band like U2, where every album is different. There are only few bands who could reinvent themselves on almost every album. You can say good, bad, or indifferent, but if you listen to Joshua Tree, which is one of my favorite albums, if you all ask me, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a pretty, not a huge U2 fan. But I do love U2. I respect them immensely. And, and I cannot choose my favorite U2 album. Because some days I feel like fucking Joshua Tree. And some days I feel like Actoon Baby. And those albums are night and day. Completely different. Yeah, you know? I understand fully. Which is because U2 is good with that. Because yeah, I, you can't pick one song. You know yeah, what I mean? Because they, you listen to these stuff. You can do with the Batman Forever soundtracks. That's, that's, that's an amazing song though. Yeah, they, I love they, that song. They, you know, they, that's my, my well, favorite. That's my favorite. Me, kiss Me, Kill Me. It's amazing. It's a great track. And uh, my favorite YouTube album is is Pop. See, I, I think YouTube Pop is. I, I think that's a pop. great. That's a and great I, freaking I album, pop. boy. That was I a great. I, that captured 1997 in a heartbeat, I, brother, man. That's our best yeah, album. Yeah, I, right? I, I, I it didn't. It discotheque really kind of soured me. Horse discotheque is a jam. I, 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 I get it. My my thing was like, so there's the rootsy era. There's this Slackman era of YouTube, which is like boy and that kind of stuff, where it's real kind of slacky, real kind of feely music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then they hit Joshua Tree and like the rattling hum. That was like the coming of age. Yeah, that's when they, they became adults and they, they wrote some really heartfelt, touching, but melodically. The rock and roll interest. anthems, basically. That's yeah, what but, that but, era. But even, no, because even like In the Name of Love and that kind of stuff, that's before Rattling Hum and before um, Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree just, I think Joshua Tree is, is, is one of those albums. Not that I think. It is. You press play, you fuck off. 
Yeah. You just you just you just transport yourself into what you two was doing then, and every song you is step great. into Bono's mind. Yeah, uh, but oh, even the edges, my I mean, and you look at a, a song like um, as I always tell people, sometimes you have to step out of your box, be a little, be willing to be uncomfortable. Because if you ever listen to the story of them writing Bullet the Blue Sky, which is one of their greatest songs, apparently um, it was Edge, Adam Clayton, and Larry Mullen Jr. jamming. Mm-hmm. And Edge is playing your riff. But the rhythm section was on their own vibe. And if you listen to what's going on, it's extremely disjointed. Now, Edge was apparently getting upset with them because they weren't listening to what he was doing and picking up on what he was throwing out. They went in their own little world. Yeah. Edge was in his own little world. Meanwhile, I think back then would have been Brian Eno was producing and Bono in the control room going, oh my fucking God, what are we doing here? This is amazing. And, and it Edge, just happened. And Edge, and Edge literally got upset with the band. Isaac, fellas, now, nah, throw on guitar and this is shit. Y'all, what are y'all doing? And... It was Eno and, and Bono to run and go, no, 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 no. Just Listen. do that again, yeah. Listen, c- c- we, we rolled it. Come and hear this. Come and hear this. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, okay. Now, whether the rhythm section, Mullen Jr. and, and Clayton knew or they just stumbled upon it, I think that's probably more rea- the Well, that's reality. what happens in the studio. Shit happens and you yeah. kind of go with it but, sometimes, you know. You end up getting something kind of amazing out of it. So sometimes you had to come out your comfort zone. Because if Edge was a cunt and decided to stick to his guns and say, this is not how the songs always play, we're playing it like this, Bullet the Blue Sky would not have happened. So that's how, how many gigs? No? <laughs> yeah, like, so as young bands, like how many gigs do you think it takes before you start getting? That's the band, man. That's the band, that's eh? That's the band. Because some bands are just shitty. Because I've seen, I've, no I have seen some bands like even simple things as like just getting lost in the mix. Like guitars, like you want to play tech metal, but you're getting lost in the mix because you're not setting up your sound properly. It's and, like and that's and that's a whole another kettle of fish. I mean, for a, a young, you can't. Put, I don't think. Okay, so if you're an analytical person, right? So. And you could be objective as well. Uh, or you have somebody you trust in the crowd um, that can help you make sense of what you're doing. It may not take too many gigs. Mm-hmm. If you're none of the above, you can forever dwindle in the sound of being a shitty band. This is the facts. I've, one, one thing I remember coming up back back in the day and it still happens to me and I get so pissed off and I, I, I remember an engineer friend of mine give me the best explanation to ever tell somebody yeah the mixer man shit yeah yeah mix us right I it, I, I remember uh, anybody who's in local music with no Sean Poland and Sean's a, a, a friend of mine going back years um, the reality is it's not the mixer man the mixer, uh, 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 engineer's job, especially in a small club, yeah, only so much control they re- actually have over the sound. At the end of the day, a microphone is an air. Yeah. An air that goes into a mixing desk with limited EQ controls, out into amplifier, out into a PA system. And the only way to experience is shit in 
equals shit out. An engineer cannot fix your sound. You are the sound, right? So if you are playing shit, you're loose, your, your, your tone is not appropriate for your band, you're playing out of time, you're out of tune, what the fuck you expect the engineer to do for you? He can't fix, he can't he, quantize on his spot. He can't, well, he never should be quantizing to begin Period, with. Period, yeah. Another, another discussion for another day, I, I literally gets under my skin, I hate when people quantize anything, right? Just program it if you're going to quantize it. Yeah. Right? So, I'm like, Super anti-quantize. So right? how do you, like, so, I mean, like, when you're playing on stage, half the time you can't even hear yourself. Because That's people, why, you see, the same thing you have in front of us right now, Chris. Zoom. Zoom. Record. Maybe, maybe not that model, because I'm not seeing any built-in mics, but... It has a mic attachment, but you can run yeah, it into the desk if you want to. You can run it to the desk, or uh, better yet, to me, will always be, fuck the desk, because the desk is going to get a weird mix coming out. Um, because remember... It's not live. Is not a studio. Yeah, live. Um, you have to contest with a, a live drum kit. So if the mix going to that will have very little drums in it. Mm-hmm. Um, your guitar and bass amp are playing live in the room. So the PA is more sound enforcement reinforcement than mixing. The PA really is it for vocal, and to sound reinforce was already coming off the stage, right? That's okay. what it's there for. So I'll tell you, it's not the studio where Marty could go and re-EQ your entire fucking sound for you to make it work. Um, I think uh, I'm I'm trying to remember which YouTube channel did it, whether it was Robert, uh, Mossad, or one of those guys. Is a British guy, or is one of the, one of the guitar channels, and they basically got an engineer to come in to show how they do. Or what they do when they record a modern guitar tone in the studio. I think Rebeard did that video where they show you the post, EQ. The post-processing that goes on. People, to hollow it out. And, and to make it sit in the mix. People don't realize. And then that's the album treatment. What you do live is something totally different. And, you know, you had to get away from the whole bedroom tone syndrome. Yeah, you had to turn your ass up. Yeah, but it, It's not like that. You know, when you're a solo instrument... If it's you snubbling it on your room, you want it sounding full, you want everything sounding big. But when you're in a band, you now have to realize and be cognizant of frequencies you're stepping on. And you, you have to be, re- be cognizant of the bass guitar sits here, um, the, the, the keyboards sit here, the vocals sit so here. So I tell everybody, you have to find your you, space you in the mix exactly, and sit in it. Exactly. You have to kind of just be in your little pocket and just chill the fuck out there. Because other than that, it, it means now it turns into volume wars and the audience actually can't hear what you're listen you're putting out there because it's it all becomes muddled. When the stage volume's too high. Well yeah, between that and even if your frequent even if the stage volume's low and the engineer is pumping everything through the PA, if the frequencies are overlapping too much, you literally can't differentiate between the guitar and the bass or the keyboards or two guitars. That's why like one of the best I remember it was um very early on when I was playing, I, I was taking a, a couple of lessons from Mark Dobson and um, he was trying to explain this to me and me being young, not understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically he picked up um, Ride Lightning from Metallica and he played Ride Lightning. And if you listen to Ride Lightning now, 
the intro comes in yeah. and you hear one guitar tone. Then you hear chunch, chunch, chunch. And then you realize, oh, that guitar sounds... You can now hear it's two guitars. And then when they play together, it's a full sound. It sounds like one big guitar. So I didn't really... I, I kind of saw you saying there. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. So yeah, okay, one's a little brighter, one's a little darker. Okay, I get that. The next, when it really dawned on me was when I first went in a studio when I was like 25, 26 and recorded an album with uh, the band I was with at the time. And um, hearing a full mix and then hearing Sean Poland was the engineer for that, pressing solo on the guitar and just the guitar comes up and you go, oh God, that's, a, wow, God, ugh, that sounds horrible. Boom, full mix. Oh fuck, that sounds amazing. Because you realize the bass is holding on the low end. So you don't need to have that much low end in the guitar to begin with. You know? That's the same thing I try to tell everybody. Because people need to realize that a guitar is like a mid-range instrument to an extent. You have to fill... Because the bass drum is going to do the bass. The bass is going to work with the lower frequencies and the lower part of the drum. But then, you see now, also now, depending on... Like... um, Okay, so I just recorded a track for the next mixtape thing with, with Marty... With the uh, with the band I'm with, right? So in the studio with with uh, yeah. Ram Design, and he came to me. He goes, right. Well, I'm EQing. Uh, we did a kind of acoustic thing, so there's no trap sets. It's a cajon, right? Yeah. So I'm EQing this thing. Are you doing a deep bass tone or aggressive bass tone? I was like, oh no, I'm doing a more deep one. So he EQed the cajon a little bit brighter. Yeah. All right. So that when I played, I'm the warmth. The cajon's the rhythm, and we mm-hmm. don't. We, we are cohesive together in one sound, right? And same thing with kick drum and, and, and um, bass. Ten to one, if you hear a clanky bass tone, it's because the kick drum is real thick and heavy and big. Or vice versa, if you hear a clicky bass drum, um, it's because the, the bass guitar is more warm and big. Punchy. Yeah. So these things have to, everything needs to sit down. I think Sweetwater actually has a really, really cool frequency cheat sheet that I encourage every musician to go and look at. I'll get the link and put it in the description for yeah, sure. Because um, you have to check this stuff. It's important because this kind of stuff is going to save you a lot of money. Oh, God. And time. Um, People don't realize that when you have more than one guitarist in a band, you have to, between the two of all, you guys are fighting for a already limited space. Yeah, yeah so you have it's, to make it work. You have, it, two guitars should sound... Like one. One big massive guitar. Yeah, yeah. So like in seven H it worked out kinda good because I like crunchy, very crunchy guitars. Paul likes very thick guitars. So it 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 was n- a natural fit for the two of us. It kinda blends. Yeah. Because, because you fill the spots he doesn't fill exactly. and it's kinda and like we, we kinda we have some crossover points as, as expected. But when you hear the gruntier thicker guitar is Paul when you hear the crunchier guitar it's me it's almost it's a given right where it got real interesting is when Scott was in the band and we had three guitars now that's just guitar mayhem it was it took us a while to get to work and it was a lot of discipline (laughs) because we would tell Paul you cannot play in this part just sing please (laughs) how'd that go no it was fine because he took it as a relaxing thing like coming for the chorus because yeah. when I go to the chorus I'm going to play the keyboard part on guitar mm-hmm. or I'll play the string part and it freed me up to play some really fun stuff that wasn't necessarily guitar part but it was like a hook in the song you know um, but 
it makes a difference. I made a massive difference in our sound, and we sound huge as a th- as a, as a three guitar a three band. guitar band. Yeah, yeah, like it, it sounded great. And what it was, it was nice. And when when we did things like Smashing Pumpkins, and you have tracks overdub on top on top on top yeah you have two heavy fuzz guitars driving it and then you have stuff thrown on top of it you get that album feel yeah billy corgan was is notorious for overdubs with harmonies and that kind of stuff and it was fun to be able to recreate a lot of that stuff because both scott and i are big like what songs did you guys play like when you had three um we're doing stuff like that like like, uh bullet butterfly wings we did zero we did today today has so many guitar layers it's great track. It's obscene. Like what we we played it for the the grand show, and I felt guilty because I didn't play ninety five percent shit in that song. Yeah, I, I kept it. I dumbed the fuck out of that song. Paul though. calls me the next. He's like, "Did you hear my fuzz pedal in the mix?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like I was like, "Yes, Paul, I heard I, your fuzz pedal." In. I have the recording. Yes, Paul, it's in the mix. Don't worry. But the Which thing is, it's a nerve wracking thing because fuzz is notoriously, notoriously scooped, so you. you do get lost. No, but he has a tone wicker one, so he, he actually yeah, has a good one. Exactly. I would know because I sold it to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if, for example, if those of you who don't know what like Mark is talking about, if you listen to the last two minutes of Bullet and the Butterfly Wings, that's madness. You that that is that is the one track that did it for me as like a young boy. The first time I heard that on the radio, I was like, I have to go buy this album because People don't realize, like, when you heard that for the first time, like, oh, God, it's giving me goosebumps right now. Yeah. Uh, that When that solo kicked in oh God, yeah, that on a small mind. transistor radio, you have I, no idea, like, the I, sound. I'm still a Siamese Dream is the best album, Smashing Pumpkins fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, without, without a question. That's, that's, that's another album where you just press play and fuck off. It, yeah, it, that, that, is, that is, even, like, the B-sides, like, mayonnaise and stuff like that are, um, and good. if you listen to that album, I encourage everybody to get good headsets, good headphones. Put that on. Don't crank it. Just put a reasonable volume in your ears because you have to keep. If you're a musician, look after your ears, please. Um. But every now and again, just get your hand on the pan knob and pan left and right a little bit, and you realize all. The crazy shit Kogan was doing, and and if you do that, you're gonna understand where Scott Johnson comes from. Because Scott Johnson is the biggest Kogan peon. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you listen to a lot of the early, uh, when his band before Insert Brown Fox, um, I sat down to learn some of the music the other day because we were gonna do a, a show and we were gonna try. We were trying to get this thing worked out, uh, get Brown Fox to come and play, and we were gonna, can't be a backing band because a lot of their members don't live here anymore. And uh, I said, like, yeah, Scott, I come. I'm playing rhythm guitar fit. And I sat down and went, oh, my God, what rhythm part am I playing? Because when you listen to the track, there's it's, like three rhythm guitars going really on. Yeah, I, I was thick. like, holy. And Scott's like, yeah, I was peeing inside. And you dream hard. I literally have Scott's. And Scott, yes, it's me who has it. Um, Siamese dream song book at home with all the tabs. Oh, you have a tab book? Oh, my God. Oh. And I have been lapsing. I need to go and figure out because Corgan does some amazing guitar work. Siamese Dream, that's one tab book I recommend everybody to get and the Melancholy tab book. I have the Melancholy you know, tab book. Melancholy was to me could have been a great album. It was a horrible double album. I did not... Shouldn't have been a double album. Yeah. Disc I, One I, wins I, the entire... Yeah, the there's two Haddock One, two good songs on it and I was about it. I think if you put on, if you if you amalgamated two, it would have been... It would have been Another Siamese Dream level album, but it's too disjointed. Too, I but think Corgan was just, you know, 
head was sold on too much. And well, this is ego. I mean, but they broke number one with it. It's a great album. Of in course, itself. It, they, they um, would have broke number one simply be on the strength of Siamese Dream. And on the strength of you, when you, the first song you drop is... Um, Bulletin is Bird Bird Yeah. Crap. Oh my God! They still they still doing it. Let's get this double album. Yeah, that's a great. You know, they didn't they didn't do like GNR in the early nineties and do Use Illusion one. Then then come and release Use Illusion two but after. Use Your Illusion one and Use Illusion two was released on the same day. They just made Were double they? money. Yeah, I because back in I, the day, was it released as two individual albums? Two or? individual albums on the same day instead of a double CD. Because this I saw behind the music on it. Okay. Um for those kids who don't know, it was on VH one. Um, <laughs> but what happened was um, the record company I'm felt that old. a double album sold back in the day for $22.50. Right. An individual CD sold for seventeen ninety nine, oh, yes. And these sure. these were the long box CDs. So this yeah, is yeah, 91. Yeah, 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 so that yeah. was $20. So you could sell two CDs at $40 yeah, 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 as yeah. opposed to selling a double album for 30 And that's how they made their album. Um, However, unlike Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, Use your light illusion. Great music on both albums. Use your illusion one <laughs> and two can stand alone as own. individual albums. Yeah. I don't know which one I like more. Um, yeah, I can't. I have my moods. Sometimes I'm a one, and then sometimes yeah. I'm a two. Like I can't figure out which one to me is I, the better one of the I, two. I, I I will still say the best track off of it was Estranged. Oh yeah, by far. Everybody, by far. everybody's a big um, November Rain thing. Well, November Rain gets the hype because of the video and the guitar I, solo. Yeah, but I think the strange, strange guitar solos trump just trample all over. But you, you uh, know, November the, but you know what the funny thing Stephanie is Stephanie Seymour, however. But you know what the funny thing wow. is though, <laughs> That's not even the best song on Use Your Illusion. I know, I know. The best songs are like Civil War. Civil War's great. Civil War's a song nobody talks about. Um, fourteen years. Yeah, is another great song. Great song. Um, the uh, shortest song on the album. Don't Garden. you cry? Don't you cry? Don't cry is good too. But that was a single. Garden of Eden yeah. was a short kind of single throughout. But yeah. that's another great song. But Yesterday is another great song on yes, that album. It is. You see, uh, you have all these B sides. Now I understand. Like now that I'm older, I understand why Axl Rose took 15 years to do Chinese Democracy. You know, because you cannot top something like Use Your Illusion. Yeah, it's really, it's really, yeah, it's really hard to do. I think also what happened with uh, reading into stuff, um, interviews with Axel and oh god, bless you, Mark. That's in yeah. the mix. Um, yeah, I think what Axel was doing, like a couple of interviews I saw with him, was he would spend so much time writing, it's fine, then grunge shit. And he was like, ah, oh, fuck, I have to, I have to rework this to be applicable to modern music and then he'll go back and rework and rewrite and rewrite and then rap rock kind of kicked in he's like oh fuck all right i can't i can't release the grungy grungy style i need to get the, oh God. okay and, and then he'll be like okay i, I think i got any like new metal hits he's like ah oh, fuck oh fuck oh fuck and because he, he got all, stuck yeah he was also in a race to stay relevant in, in music industry terms right so and that's a consummate writer that's somebody who is who could write anything and just saying, well, this is what's as he could call it a sellout. I don't call it a sellout. I call it a person who is being conscious of the times yeah. and letting his art be it's like it's like you can't, you know, an artist who went from the impressionist into into the realism, into all these different eras, 
you wrote the times, man. This, this you have what, to. You you really you, know? you really have and to. You take, and you take you don't you're not trying to copy somebody. It's not like he's calling Cypress Hill to say, "Come help me write a track." He's gonna go. This well, this is my take on a rap rock song. You know, well, that's that's what you have to do. And and the bands that have stood the test of time, like we talk about, like your Metallicas and stuff like that, they have done a good job of moving with their new audiences. I think Metallica said test time because they have an amazing back catalog. There, anything after Black Album, Load was okay-ish. Reload was garbage. No, no, no. I, 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 I disagree. I am, I am putting, I am putting the gauntlet down between Load and Reload. I will defend uh, Load and Reload to the death. I think Load is uh, a great album until it sleeps. Is one of their best singles. No, Hero of the Day is great, and so is King Nothing. Day was cool. King Nothing was cool. Come on, man. Memory Remains on Reload. No. Come now. That is tunes. I've seen Metallica play Memory Remains and it still mashes you know up the place. I, I wouldn't doubt. I, I, my take on it would be I'm sure it's better live than it recorded. I I did not I don't get and I never got the lightning in a bottle vibe from those albums. Like Black Album or or well, you, Ride Lightning. You have to you have to put it in perspective because we have everybody has a tendency to forget that Load came out one year after Melancholy. Sure. Melancholy the year before was a humongous success. That was everywhere. You couldn't you couldn't turn on a radio station he stays without hearing bullet. Yeah, yeah. And then up. after zero drop. And then tonight, tonight. That was yeah. the run up. And then you hear something like Tonight Tonight is like, wait, that's on that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Week after Tonight Tonight drops, Metallica drops until it sleeps. Yeah, Tonight Sleeps is not horrible. It's, it's, it's just it's hard to it's fit. It's just the, me. the problem with Load that a lot of people realize is that they try to recreate the black album, but you cannot. You can't recreate. do it. No, as I was saying, that was like the man, listen, man. But the black album, and I'm no Metallica fanboy, but give Jack the jacket. The black album is amazing the black album is 12 singles again people have a tendency yeah. not to realize uh, again, it's 12 singles you press play and you fuck off it's a but, great great but album load, load, load is great I it's think a, load Master Puppet is an amazing album but you go back justice for all go back all and listen, listen to load no you have to give load a chance it is a load start it's, from Ain't My Bitch and go all the way no, to Outlaw Thorn that's a great I'm album I'm not doing it Chris because I have better things to do with my life you could press but play and fuck off with load. I don't think I can. I you compare I can. it to... Unless I'm dropping a load and I can't get to the oh. pause button. I mean, their most garbage albums is poor St. Anger. St. Anger is freaking oh trash. God. And I regretfully, the last CD I bought was St. Anger. And I was I got caught up in that hype. Poor boy. It was, I thought it was a joke. Um, I thought it was a troll. I didn't think they were serious. Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would say like, okay, even the technical issues with... Justice for All's recording and the no bass track and uh, still a far superior album and I'm, and I'm not getting caught up in the whole technicality and difficulty and because I I genuinely will tell you I don't give a fuck how difficult your music is to play. No, it's not. It's not supposed I to be. Think, but it's I music, think but I think Dream Theater is shit half the time. Ooh. All right, I think Dragon Force is the worst band in the world. Hey, hey, but Guitar are, Hero man, Guitar but Hero. But they are amazing musicians. Yeah, they're great. I can't listen to their music because it's just... It's, it's like me and Periphery. I can't stand it. Yeah, it's, it's just... Like, I don't get it, you know, but... I'm sure they have fans, but I, I, as a, it's like I I don't care how complex or simple the music is. 
I can't bob my head to it, and I can't tap my foot to it, and I can't sing along with it, I really am not interested. So how could you not do that to Lord? Because I don't want to sing along with their garbage. Yeah, and, you have to have the Hero of the Day is a great track. Hero of the Day, I, I would admit it, when it came out, I thought it was a great track. It's a great freaking track. However, I am fighting this to the death. However, I, it does not stand the test of time. It does because stand the test of time. if somebody was. says, put your head on a block, give me your top five Metallica songs, that's not even coming close to the top it's five. It's going to be on top five. It's one you're, of my doing it, you're saying that out of spite. No, I'm not up. saying that. I <laughs> like your... Because Load and Reload can be a double album on itself. It's just two completely oh. different sounds. But you look at the state of rock and roll at the time. You see, a lot of people don't realize that when you have to listen to albums, you also of, have... state of metal at the time was You had shit, to put it so. in context. This was before new metal. Remember, Load came out yeah. in 98 or 90... Load came out in 96. Reload came out in 97, 98. After that, corn yeah. dropped and flipped everything on its yeah. head. That was that was a movement of heavy music. I, and to have Metallica still relevant in that conversation at that I time... Think, I think also what happened, and I could be wrong, I could be talking on my ass here, but I think having Bob Rock come on for the, the Black Album as producer worked great for the Black Album. Bringing him back for Reload and Load was probably the wrong decision. But, I mean, you look and at the I, success of the Black album. Yeah, because... Oh, so, I understand why they did it. Yeah, it I makes just, sense. I, I mean, just think his, his input as a producer may have played... Like, I, I think he may have won their trust over a lot with the Black Album. Well, I think he went multi-platinum enough to earn anybody's trust. Right, right. Yeah, but keep, but keep in mind, too, that still had been source material that Hetfield would have brought to the band. And I think they thought they were bulletproof for Load. And they even said it. They let, they let Kirk Hammett write his own leads instead of Hetfield showing him what to play. And it shows. If right? you... If you ever and want a good DVD to watch, there is the making of the Black Album. They were telling Lars what the drum, and it shows. They, they, they kind of thought they were invincible after the Black Album, I think. I think I would feel invincible after the Black Album. It's the and, fucking and, Black yeah, Album. Know, but they should also realize why the Black Album is the Black Album. And but if, just, if you want... Because there was none that... James Hetfield was Stalin in that, al- in that album, just like he was ever... He, he, ruled with an iron fucking fist but this is the thing point. though I mean like and it's a, I it's, think there's a reason why because it worked now if you're talking into into band relationships and whatnot, I can see why he probably backed off a bit yeah it was to their detriment in my opinion they well, had a couple of good drugs. songs well yeah I probably but I mean I just think they had a couple of great songs but nothing special nothing test aside People are not going to look back at Metallica's discography in 20 years from now and praise Load and Reload. You have it's to. not happening. Until it sleeps or... Is... You have good songs, Chris. No, the, the single album, but they have, there are B-sides. There are B-sides on the Load album uh, that are worth mentioning. Now, you sit down and you look at... Watch the DVD on the making of the Black Album and see how much hell... It, yeah. That was... This is like... I saw it on, I'm old. I saw it on VHS, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I saw it on VHS, too. I didn't think it DVDs. I, you kids can go <laughs> freaking stream this shit on YouTube right now, right? We have to rent this shit from Blockbuster. Um, Blockbuster. I used to go to whatever video rental place. VHS and St. Clair. Yeah, it was one in Glen... No, because I used to walk from my house. USA Warren's Video. 
So whichever the one in uh of in Glencoe up by the hardware. And then Ryan Rock lived right there by his parents' house uh, just opposite the yacht club in um on Newberry Hill. Yeah. So he's walk to his house from Westport, it's a little twenty minute walk. Get there, we go, take our little dollars, go and rent these videos, or we would down uh, not download it, video uh, record them from MTV and come back and look at them. Make or, music video mixtapes, man. Uh, or well it wasn't mixtapes for music videos, it was daily documentaries and that kind of shit. Or we would get some friend in the States who would bring it back for us and we'd look at it and get the originals um, VHS and shh, pull it out. Yeah, you pull it out in like the nice box and all yeah, sorts of man. It's not yeah. this bootleg shit. It was Yeah, it, yeah, they had USA video in Glencoe, but I was a VHS man in St. Clair. That's where I used to go. Well, there you go. VHS was the good stuff. But you mean you, you we have to remember too that I think Metallica's judgment with the black album was because it felt after that every album they should have done, they should have recorded inside the studio. Like they should have written it with a producer in mind and recorded yeah, but, it. But money though. I mean I mean it's, it's they didn't I don't think they had the budget for the black the, the other stuff. Budget started to dry up after in the mid nineties, big time. Well mainly at that is too is I mean you sit down and look at the perspective of heavy music at the time. Corn drops in ninety eight. Limbiscuit yeah. drops late ninety eight. Then ninety nine after that is Limbiscuit the greatest. Was, uh, which, what, what, corn was the man. That, uh, well, ninety six corn came out with blind. Right. But I okay, think there you go. Right. I think because um, corn was way ahead of Limbiscuit. Because like, I think it's not like freak, freak, freaking leash was ninety eight. Adidas came out all day long. Came out in ninety eight. Right. But um, got the life is the one that sent them into over, yeah, yeah. the stratosphere. But I remember Blind and Ball Tongue and all those stuff. I remember when the first Corn album came that out. That first Corn album, real freaking good. You know? uh, well, you know, I, again... I, it was I, fresh. I, I, I you know, yeah, That's what it was. That was, it, in a sense, because it's technically not, but in a sense, they were a Nirvana-esque force in that they were a totally new sound that the rock community had never heard before. And it was like, what the fuck is well, this? Well, we heard, we heard the plantings of it because Evil Empire comes out in 1996. Yeah. And but without Evil, Evil Empire... I don't know, boy. I, I, I think Korn and, and, and Rage Against Machine are two vastly different animals but um, in terms of like the raw production because the first rage album had that raw kind of aesthetic that the first corn album had i find the, the first rage album actually funny enough as i say that was recorded completely live in sound city studios uh same the same studio that did Nevermind, did damn the torpedoes did stevie nicks Fleetwood Mac. Which is incredible to see the musicianship on that uh, album is second to none. But, very but that, if you look, um, Dave Grohl actually did a really cool documentary on Sound Studio, um, Sound City Studios. You need, if you're a music fan, you need to see this. Do we have it, to get it on VHS or is it uh, on Netflix? No, you can download you can Netflix. No, you can Netflix. I look at it on Netflix. You know, there are a couple of music documentaries I look at on a regular basis because I just want to be inspired. Yeah, and that is one. And when you see, it's hard to believe that so many of the songs that you love came from the exact same studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so many songs were recorded in a room that was former 
Vox Amplifier <laughs> factory. Yeah. That they tell you flat out, this room, when you measure it, should not record drums, but it has the world's best drum sound. It's just you, big. You cannot, you cannot listen to Nevermind and tell me those are the best drums. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nevermind never is right? ridiculous. But the, the raw sound of that that corn album because i i have a feeling that like yeah yeah you you pour your heart away mark's pouring more whiskey again everybody you should pour some more in your glass if you haven't um if any whiskey sponsors willing to give to the podcast feel free contact us in our email um no but that raw sound i think a lot of kids nowadays have no idea of what it's like to hear something with that because it seems to me like modern modern recordings everything is so perfect so sterile yeah, that that no raw sound feel. of like I'm sure the first time you heard dirt, it blew your mind. Dirt, like man in the box. Okay, the first so time you hear man in the box, even before well, dirt. Oh yeah, so that's 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 facelift. So my funny enough, because you, you're not talking to a, a as Jane super fan here, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, so as we're talking about me playing bass back in the days, um, so I first started in '95 playing music, right? Bass guitar is what I started on, and Again, I do not, I really can honestly say I do not know what attracted me to bass. I quickly learned who Four I, strings easier. Probably. Right? But I don't know if it's, I love reggae music as well. And I picked up bass guitar from that. I don't know if it was my love for Guns N' Roses. Uh, I, I would say the first bass man I identified with. Duff. Duff McKagan. Yeah. He's one of just... Cars, and his bass is iconic. Right? And not that I could play like him then or now, but I always loved Duff's approach. Then it was... Um, I, I, I always forget his name, but the guy from Live, mm-hmm. who's an amazing bass player because he plays so melodically, but he's in the pocket. And it's, ah, fuck him. He's right? a pocket player, everybody. Uh, yeah, but he's in a super good pocket. He's He's... he's He's stink. He's really stink. That's what she said. But um, after play, so after Singe, I went in a band that um, after I left Singe, it, it's it's hilarious. You know, bassists get all the jobs, right? Because there's a million guitarists and there's a million singers, but there's no bassists and drummers. Because no no right? guitarist wants so, to play bass. That's no, the thing. So, so let me let me just give a little tip for anybody who wants to be in a band: either learn drums or learn to play bass. You will be in a band. You'll be in high demand. Do it. Right? You'll get the gigs. Of course, get be good. Right? Get good. But even then, there are a million guitarists out there. There are very few bassists and, and get drummers. Right? Drummers are like the uh, uh, they're drummers, then they're drummers, and they're fucking unicorns. Yeah, for right? real, those are like who could play without yeah. a kit. But the but, sound back to the Allison Chains. But right. So the, the joke with Allison Chains is, I, I bass all my life left. Dropped out of Singe within like three weeks. I'm up in Coconuts and Christian Dobson comes up to me. Hey, me and Justin Lee um, looking to start a, um, a band. We're looking for a bass man. Are you still? If you're playing? down, yeah. I was like, hey, but I actually just left my band. Yes, yeah. You just I'm, fall I'm, right I'm, into it. Eh? I'm in. So three weeks later, I'm back in. Uh, and uh, man, let me tell you something. That was like, yes, I'm I in. And we we became high society. So I don't know if you were around when that happened. I was like 98. Yeah, I was still around then. 97, 98. 
And we did the usual Just Friends circuit. We did um, Just Friends, yeah. That's on Bel- That's in um, Bretton Hall. Bretton Hall. That was co- one of the first venues um, I went to. Couple of gigs in South. We did. We didn't gig a lot, but we gig quite a bit. And we did like a couple of the um, Salmon Tree festivals. So we gigged around. Um, that's during that band is when I got to meet, really become or actually meet people like. Nigel Rojas and Mark and I'm a lot better mm-hmm. because back then I'm still broke ass teenager right can't get I have a little 40 what practice amp yeah yeah you don't have the big gears right. but you, you, you're making it so, work so we're all broke musicians our drummer had a drum kit god bless him it was Kevin Mohammed used to play with, with um, I, uh, not Infernal Death one of the heavier metal bands that were down here Black Rose no metal metal <laughs> Uh, and original stuff. Um, that Rocky used to sing for them. I always forget the name. I'm sure I could find from Kevin, right? And you can put it in the line of notes. I think it was Infernal. I can't remember. Norris, Kevin, Rocky, and I can't remember who played bass. Anyway, Kevin had his kit. Right? Kevin yeah. was the oldest out of all of us, right? And we had a band room in the basement of Justin Lee's um, St. Clair home. Uh, they did like a porch off the back and had a basement. Well, there you go. Right. Orange Sky had equipment, but no band room. So it was like Mark Dobson, Christian Dobson's in my band, Mark Dobson's in Orange Sky. Handshakes went on, you all bring the gear, we have the room, this is the nights we want to jam, this is the nights you all could jam. Exactly, and that's how it starts. And that's how I met Fowley, that's how I met Nigel, that's how I met Rene, that's how I met Clyde. So I now you're in thing. So now I, I'm, I would say I'm networking and I'm meeting musicians. Anyway, things go along the line. Um, left that band. And in, again, basis always in demand. Left there. Got a, a phone call. Leaving my gir- ex-girlfriend's house at the time. Well, girlfriend at the time. Adam Murray calls me. Hey, I'm in Amar Studios right now um, with Paul Amar. And he's looking for a bass man. Oh, God. And, and no lie, it's like literally two months after I I, I broke up with, with um the band, right? And it, it's it's fuck it's actually quite hilarious. I there Sunday night uh, my girlfriend, yeah, I'm tired of going home. I'm tired of going. As I'm leaving her house, I get the call from Adam. Hey, you need a bass band. Yeah, 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 come in, I'm coming, I'm coming. Come in, you're there one time. All of a sudden I have energy. You're dropping on that that became like a lifelong friendship with Paul. I mean, Paul literally is my, my best man at my wedding. And yeah, Paul's the boss. I like Paul's Paul. been in band. Paul and I, I remember a running joke with Dion Camacho. It's a package deal. You can't have a band with Paul and not have Mark and you can't have exactly. a band with Mark and not have Paul in it. What are you talking about? You can't drink whiskey without Mark right. and Paul. Well, so, Paul not here, but... Yeah, in spirits. Respect for Paul. In spirits, right? Um, so that went there, but then... While I was playing bass for that band, which was Forming Habits cover band, I started listening to Alice in Chains a lot more. Yeah. And I was like, man, I need to learn to play guitar more. And I need to get into guitar more. Yeah, Can- Cantrell will do that here. Can- Cantrell is my guitar hero. Can- Cantrell, and, and, and because of Cantrell, I learned about Pink Floyd. Yeah. Because... Of course, he becomes a guitar hero. So you want to read everything that they, uh, they're about. So I read interviews with him, and he mentioned that David Gilmore is his his, his idol 
yeah. I guess a lot of inspiration. It's like, who the fuck is this David Gilmore yeah, who's guy? The first time I heard of who's David Gilmore? I don't know. Like, yeah, why yeah, I look it up, I'm like, oh, the wow. guy who played on the wall, that kind of what? disco track. What? <laughs> right? It's like what? Uh, and then at that maybe do the deep dive. And now Gilmore is actually so Gilmore and Cantrell are my guitar gods. And then so Mark got his first pick muff. And oh god, that was a few years later. But no, that that's where I was like, okay, I'm gonna play bass. I'm gonna, I, I got my by that point, I had a rig. A proper bass rig, a yeah, bass yeah, amp. You got a bass rig. I was I was nineteen at that time. I literally saved up all my shekels, and I got a uh, hockey kickback twelve. I still had the same Yamaha bass. That's right. So, so bass was covered. The, you had you had you had thing to play the shows. Yeah. So now I could actually roll up my own bass amp. Basses, please do this if possible. Um, Wait. So you're telling bassists to come to gigs with their own amp? I'm telling bassists to make sure they own their own fucking amp, so they can do their own gigs. There's another story we'll talk about after this, right? <laughs> sure. Feel free. Go ahead. Because um, I know you wanted to talk about like money with bands, and uh, we can talk about anything you want to talk about. But yeah, go ahead. We can get to that. Um, so it's like I need. I was like, I need to get into the guitar more and understanding more, and. and I just had my, my uncle gave me a old nylon string guitar he had. He was more into like clips and stuff. Like he was friends with Relator and that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. So he, he gave Relator his steel string and he gave me his nylon string. I got a going. nylon string when I started right? too from my mum. That's how it um, goes. I was like, cool, I'm going to learn to play some. Actually, because I used to play a little bit of chords. I got Ryan to back mm-hmm. in to show me some chords. It's like, I'm going to learn this a little bit, little bit more. And I stopped buying bass gear. Like uh, occasionally, like, I bought a, uh, my first five string bass later on. But. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and do it. And once Forming Habits broke up, like around 2004-ish, 2003-ish, I was like, fuck, I'm done with bass. Yeah. I sold, I, I sold, I had, by the end of it, I had, um, and I went to another project after that, but I'm not even going to get into that. So if you want to talk about money, that's a good thing to talk about. But by the end of it, I had uh, uh, Ashdown, 300-watt head, hockey, 4x10 cab, Compressor. You're just, you're just rolling in gear I, at this I, point. Like, no, at this yeah. point, I had a proper bass rig. I had the five string bass, the four string bass. I could do, I could play anything I want. Yeah. Um, real nice hockey. Uh, you had uh, all your shit covered. Yeah. To play. And I was bass. like, right, I'm gonna. Uh, when that those bands broke, I was like, fuck it, I'm playing, I'm playing guitar. Fuck it. Sold off it. everything I didn't need. Um, and it's a running joke. I I sold the bass amp to um, Krishna Lucky Ram. Everyone knows his Lucky. Mm-hmm. Right, he works with Kess and those guys. So the lucky. He he does all backline stuff. He has his own drum kits and and yeah, bass yeah. amp, and that bass amp is still kicking ass today. And it's one of the best sounding bass rigs. I I was like almost wish I that can... bass amp in Alice Yard or no the hockey. Same, it's the same amp, but and that one was I actually bought that before I bought that four by ten setup. It's literally what I ended up doing is buying that Alice Yard amp. Uh-huh. I believe that's my old amp. The Ashdown. Right? Well, it's the only Ashdown I've seen in Trinidad. Right. Well, so. it, there's two. Well, there's at least three. But there was... So I had that 115 combo, 300 watt 115 combo. Sold it about six or eight months after I bought it. I really wanted four tens. I do not like how 15-inch speakers sound with bass. It's nah. too slow. The attack is not there. Um, So I wanted the four ten. They didn't have the four ten combos at the time. And eventually I said, fuck it. Gonna buy the head and a 410 cab. That's the way to do and it, man. And I just, I, I sold the 15 inch. I, I, again, by that time I was working, saved up some shekels, ordered it and brought it in. And that rig kicked all the ass ever 
he's to hold up with all the mice buggies I was playing with again. It cut. It was fairly lightweight for a bass rig, and sounded great. And mm. it still, I it kills me that this I sold that arm to him fifteen years ago, or more, and it's still still working. Ass yeah, it's still and working. Killing, killing. Could we rent it every now and again? Because I will, I will rent the backline from Lucky for not necessarily a GSD show, but like if if my cover band's doing a show with other bands and we we just rather pay somebody $500 to get a backline. Well, I'll, I'll do it, yeah. Because, you know what, sometimes it's worth the effort to just get a backline amp but not have to worry about it getting beat up on and that kind of stuff. Right? That's what it's there for. Yeah. Um, so you reach, so you started playing guitar because of Jerry Cantrell. Pretty much. And then you jump into all them guitar bands and then, it's, then there goes then, all your money. But then, yeah, so, so when I started playing guitar, initially, I just played guitar cover bands, really. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so I played guitar and Lyman Paul Paul had Pablo's we did a lot of stuff there and then eventually one day we were like man you should fucking jam you know again yeah. I watched him and said we're doing it but I'm not playing bass when we jam and I'm 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 on guitar now you have your big boy pants right. I, well, I want to play guitar I really want to play guitar in a band I don't want to play bass anymore and that's when the first 7H started in 2005-ish I had no comeback to show that when all they were starting and, to gig in the um, that's when we had Andrew Moffat, who's no, sadly no longer with us, and Orlando Pyle play bass with us. And we played gig in that format for a bit. Um, Gregory Paul near release, re replaced Muff, uh, Andrew Moffat, and um, we had a couple of people slide in and slide out over the years. Eventually, well, Landy stayed with us for most of it. Adding Scott, adding Bernard. And that was the format for many years. And man, we, we were a tight fucking unit. Um, and it's just recently we've got back doing it again. Back in the ting. Yeah. So it was nice. I, I did some little Great set projects. of Grunge Street, by the way. Thanks, oh, you played real good. I had a time with that set. And um, I've done, a I haven't done much original projects on guitar. Um, just the mixtape stuff I've done. And I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, Tyler Kitty. Yeah, yeah, play, play guitar with Tyler Kitty. So, I mean, um, it, it's hard because people realize that um, because there's a lot of blowback for cover bands. In turn, for some reason, which uh, I don't really find justifying. Everybody who comes on here and talks about it will be like, you, you know, know, everything I, has its place. And and I, I'm, I'm guilty of, of bashing cover bands coming up. I really was. Until I got into one and realized that... It's a lot of freaking work. It besides, well, uh, it's different work. I won't say quantity of work is, is is the same hours, if not maybe less, um, depending on your proficiency and what songs you're doing. Um, but it, it's different. Cover bands are not taking original bands jobs they're not going to take their spot they are not the mexicans coming over the bars taking our jobs because you know what the robots are actually taking their fucking jobs not the mexicans no maybe because you look at it in a sense that they cover bands but you know cover bands cover gigs do well but you know no the thing is because people are fucking lazy and it's like i i can't wait again i i'm spacing out on who I had certain discussions with but like uh, a cover band doesn't have fans really and it's, their job is not really 
to get fans. To entertain. Exactly. I am the guy in the back of the room playing music that you're not really paying attention to in a cover band. And it always amazes me when people elevate cover bands above that level. I, I remember when um, 7H, uh, what, what format were we? It was Gregory playing drums, Jason Borden singing. I think Nicholas Marsan was doing a singing stint with us at that time too. Paul playing guitar, me playing guitar, Landy playing bass. And this is when we were doing the Unplugged Nights, Unplugged Nights at, at, at Woodford. Yeah. And um, there was nothing unplugged about our set, right? And But um, it was unplugged. Yeah. Know. Well, I don't know. It was fucking rock and roll. It was we plugged were, in. We were loud as fuck and it was awesome. And we were getting a lot of traction. I remember a lady from Synergy came and wanted to interview us. Uh, I literally looked at her face and I was like, no, we're not doing any, do not film us and don't, we're not doing any interviews. And she's like, why? I said, because this has nothing to do with art here or, or creativity. We're just playing cover music. And she's like, look at all the people are here to see you. I said, yeah, because they're here to have a good time and party. They're here to lime and there's music in the back to exactly. lime to. Exactly. And they, they, they know not to pat myself on my back here, they're going to get good music. And yes, maybe 20, 30, 40 people are physically here to see the band play because they want to hear the songs. But the rest are just here because they're going to hear good music. And they have drinks. And, and, I, I, and then she's like, she said, argue. I was like, you're really arguing about doing an interview with me. I'm telling you, I don't want to. And I'm also telling you, don't film it because of copyright issues here. And I'm also telling you that, you know, what we do here really and truly is not that special. And they're also millions of original artists in this country yeah. you should be interviewing and should be getting to the forefront there but you're being fucking lazy about it well because you're convenient at the time and she figured exactly. it'd be a good plug and and um she got very upset it was quite funny but i remember i walked off and well mark, mark was an asshole in the year 2006 everybody <laughs> mark is still an asshole in the year 2019 everybody Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I remember I walked off and she started to interview. I noticed the cameras floating around my drummer. And my Gregory was pretty timid back then. He's a little timid right now. Um, but great drummer. Yeah. And um, he started to interview him. I just remember walking up going, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, I told you all, no fucking interviews. What is wrong with you all? All right. And thankfully, actually, I had a friend working in Synergy time. And I called her and I was like, listen, if you'll air that shit, a wig and even I've held the pee, all right? And, and Mark threw his weight at Synergy right. TV. And I'm fat. No, and she's like, <laughs> she goes, wait on, you didn't sign um, any permission because you have to. You have to life. sign a waiver. Yeah. If you do an interview and on the TV, you have to well, sign well, some kind of permission. Not even, no, it's, it, it, they videotaped me performing. They have to get my permission. And yeah, yeah. they were willing, as far as I understood, to to put our performance up without you Isaac I didn't sign nothing you play that you're, I'm, I'll, I'll call a lawyer I, I, I mean I was bluffing like fuck I don't know any lawyers back then but it was like and she's like oh you didn't sign waiver no no the musical source I'm not doing it and I was like yeah yeah just let, yeah, yeah, just let go, let go. Yeah. so there you go and that's the story of um, Seven Year Itch not getting no, um, well, no TV publicity because I'm Mark Ranger and don't care because you know what a cover band doesn't deserve TV so if, if, if a cover band if a cover band is not not about not about the fans the cover band is not about the money then it's it's not 
yes. Because cover bands get paid. I mean, if you're yeah, there to entertain people. Because I want you to understand something. We're there to entertain people. Cover band is there to entertain somebody. And what you're paying for is guaranteed entertainment. You're going to play songs guaranteed that people quality. like. And you, you, if a bar is... And I can't stress this enough. If a bar expects a band to bring people to the bar, cover band isn't really the way to go. Elaborate. So, a cover band is what you hire to entertain your patrons who are pretty much already there. Maybe you'll get a couple people coming because they like live music. Right? Okay. But a cover band doesn't have fans. How much cover bands? I mean, you might have a kind of following, but you don't... You know, I get, I get what you're saying. You hire yes. a band is like hiring a DJ. Exactly, but you you want a live you want live music, so you get instead a of somebody pressing play, you have five people on exactly. stage playing music, and you just you, you go on their reputation that they are good and they will deliver and they will they will play a the kind of music you want to be played and b they will play it well. Yeah, that's all. And after that, a cover band's responsibility ends. I, sh- I show up on time, I play the music well, and I entertain everybody, and I play the music you want. No I, drama. No Come on stage, get the fuck off. And exactly. Go. And that should be worth a certain amount of money. So how, so, so as a original band. Original bands, however, need a fan base. You need because, to put in the work. Because a bar who has an original band does not give a fuck about the band. He only gives a fuck about how much bodies they bring through the door and how much those bodies buy at the bar. So, so I remember back in the high society days, a Just Friends guy used to love when we played because we wouldn't bring many people, but they're all fucking raging alcoholics. Everybody and would come and they drink would, plenty. The bar would take hits. There were some younger bands who had younger fans who would bring sell out the place and they didn't care because these buy, guys are buying Coke or they're not drinking. Context. Stagging right. that day was like $5, yeah. $6. So cheap man let me tell you something right? if i go back to when i was 16 and what a hundred dollars could do for me for a week i i want to vomit oh god don't even get me started a hundred dollars can't even last me a night in a club or bar right now but anyway but yes that to me is the fundamental difference between a cover band and an original band if you're a, a cover band your goal is to demonstrate you have the ability to deliver music deliver yeah. it well and be professional about it. And yes, you could have a little bit of following, but it's more reputation than following. If you're Whereas, a tight band that does a tight set, you're going to get people to come see you regardless. Where you're exactly. Uh, but, they're not, but, but who goes out of their way to see a cover band? Who, if, if I tell you, Seven Year Itch is playing Paparo tomorrow, you driving on fucking Paparo to see me? No! So you might call your cunt. Exactly. But if your favorite original band is playing in Paparo. I still ain't going. <laughs> nah, but, I know what but, you mean, yeah. But, and the only time to hear their music is when they play, well, you'll be inclined to make you're the making, trip. You're making inclined to make the trip. Right? So, I mean, everything has its place, but like, you know, people have a tendency to, like, it, they don't seem to tell their fans these things that when you go to the, <sighs> when you go to these places in order for us to get to play, yeah, it's good stuff. When you, when, you, when you play these places, you have to come and spend your money at the bar because they have these people, like when they come to see a band, they say, Oh, God, yes. Please. I paid $100 for a ticket. I don't want to pay any money at the bar. Then, then don't come. 
Don't be- comment. Because you're not doing anybody any favors than ensuring the band doesn't go back there again. You know, um, as I'm not a bar owner, but I can tell you what a bar owner thinks because I've interfaced with them. I, my, one of my best, my, again, Paul Amar. Yeah, this was a bar. Was write this Rose down, kids. This stuff is really important. You, 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 your patrons have, if the bar is hoping to make money off of the bar, when they hire your band to play, right? Because more often than not, um, when an original, original band plays, somebody has to pay for the PA. Yeah. And unless the, the bar miraculously has one that's usable, which is unlikely. Um, then somebody has to pay the band and the bar to make money. Well, usually bands get played sometimes with ticket sales. Right. So there's that. Um, like what Shakers used to do back in the day was, all right, guys, we are taking the free, because the PA system costs us $2,500. We are taking the first $2,500 off the door. And everything after that is yours. Which is fair. And we did that in Pablo's for a while when we did bands. Fellas didn't really understand it, but we did it. Um, even with GSD, we were very upfront with the bands for the recession session um, gigs and a lot of the other shows we did, uh, whether it was year, year two and all those other things. All those shows, our, we weren't, our goal wasn't to make money per se. We didn't want to bust. But we weren't trying to profit off the bands. What we were trying to do is share profit with the bands. And the idea was once the expenses are crossed, we will then divide the profits of the show with the bands. And expenses, we weren't doing like some people and saying, well, the PA is $5,000. And it's our PA, so it really costs us nothing. So I take it. No, we used to rent a top of the line fucking PA yeah. for Midas board. You know, everything you get in the works, you get, you got, you get got, quality sound. Yeah, because at the end of because as everyone knows, we need GSC stuff. We want to record it live. We want video, and that was another thing we paid bands with to get them marketing materials. We made videos for them, yeah. which, if you called any video videographer, that's ten grand. It costs you to get a music video. Yeah, um, it's expensive. That shit, this shit's way expensive. Yeah, like, so, you know, so some people saw the value in that and said, "Okay, I'll take the video and whatever little money we got at the end of the show." Some bands did well. Some bands didn't, right? But it came down to how much people they brought. Understand something? A promoter that only promotes so far. It's up to the band to walk with their crowd. You have to. You have to walk with your people. You can't. You can't go this day and age and just be like. Uh, and this is why certain bands make it, and other other bands don't. And when I say make it, it's like they build a following. Yeah, it's like uh, I remember. Looking at an interview with um, about Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. Right? It's, I mean, it's obscure because we're not talking about rock and roll per se. We're talking pop music here. But Dave Matthews Band toured all over the U.S. in the back of a van and were selling the albums out the back of the truck to college kids because they're doing all the college tours. Yeah, which is which is what they do. I mean, because right. they're a jam band. Live. But Dave Matthews Band doing that was selling sixty and seventy thousand dollars, seventy thousand copies of their albums. Any record label that looks at a band that sent seventy thousand copies or fifty thousand copies of an album of an album out of the trunk could you, be signed. You are an idiot not to sign them, and that's why they're multi-platinum exactly stuff. Because at the end of the day, once you can put some marketing money behind them. 
if their little grassroots thing is having that kind of results, money behind that making more money. So yeah. that was a no-brainer stuff. And that's good, bad, and different if you like Dave Matthews or not. They're still a multi-platinum artist. Yeah, yeah. They, right? make, they make their money. And they make real fucking money and they sell out real shows. Um, and I, they still have a following. And they still... I, I would say I was a fan of theirs when I was coming up. I saw them live and it was, I thought it was shit. It was actually one of the worst concerts I've ever gone to in my life. Because they're, regret. they're a jam band. Yeah, but I I just, they, mm, yeah, I just didn't, they, they weren't playing the hits. They were one of those bands that just didn't play the hits. They're man. like and fish. They're a yeah, jam yeah, band. Yeah, they, you, you pay for the performance and but what you see is what I've you get. I've seen live DVDs of them and thought this is amazing. And then I saw them actual live and I thought, this is boring as fuck. And we, if it wasn't for the two lesbians making out next to me and literally pretty much dry humping themselves, it would, it would have been a, a complete waste of drive from Miami to West Palm Beach. And that's a right. long haul. Yeah. That so, was a good trip with, with Paul. Paul, I remember that one if he's listening. <laughs> but that, um, that see, it, goes, it goes back again to the content and what original bands need to realize. I mean, like, Nobody guarantees that they're going to like your band. And I have a feeling no. that like when people show a show, they expect everybody to like them automatically. No, don't be an idiot. It's impossible. Everybody has different tastes and you can't get upset for people not liking you. If they don't like you, literally, it is your fault. Yeah, and again, the next I season, mean, where do you draw the line between like quote-unquote selling out and like being having creative integrity? Um... Because that seems uh, to be a struggle with anybody. That's like you, your line to draw as far as I'm concerned. If you don't feel like you're selling out, then you're not. Listening to a fan complain about, oh, they liked your first album, your third album was different and you've sold out. Fuck them. I mean, it sounds horrible. But if your creativity takes you in a certain direction and it happens to be commercially successful, well... I'm real sorry, but that's just kind of where it went. And if you want to make it as an actual musician and play live and stuff like that, people are to buy your music. So you you find you have to find an absolute. So some people don't have to find a balance because what they're doing is pop. Some people love pop. You write pop, pop sells. Yeah, it's easy. Um, it's also difficult too to stay relevant and stuff. Yeah, like that. so but exactly, but then they have to stay relevant. So are you calling that selling out too? No, well, I don't necessarily. Think, yeah, because, but it, you take, it, it drag it out. Some bands like Chili Peppers yeah. kind of drag the audience into what they're doing and sell them on what they're doing on their sound. Chili Peppers were nobody's at first because they were so fucking weird. It was it was what? Them and James Addiction kind of doing that weird kind of Then, then stuff. they do a cover of Higher Ground and it takes and off. And kicks off. And then people un- then understand, oh, I see what you're doing. Then they drop Blood Se- Sugar Sex Magic. And take off. And the world loses their fucking mind because it's an amazing album. But then they had some downtime before California's Cation oh, came yeah, back yeah, but before they came around. Yeah, exactly. Again. They, so they kind of come back. And, and, but even then, if you listen to Californication and you listen to Blood Sugar Sex Magic, they're two total. It's almost they two, grew. It's two total different bands. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the same band, but it's, it sounds different. Are you saying that Chili Peppers sold out? No. no. So you basically saying that bands don't really sell out? They just kind of find themselves. Creative. Well, I'm sure there's some guys who sell out. I'm yeah. sure there's some guys out there who go like. Um, 
<laughs> like you can see Michael Bolton sold out. If if your man started trying to do hair metal and then goes and, some, and then someone goes, yeah. yeah, but you know you know what, Mike, you should really do time, love, and tenderness because I think you'll do a very good version of that. And then you know what, the man starts to make a, a, a make a fucking living. You know, did he sell out? Eh, nah, he bought in. Maybe, but yes, he bought in. He bought and he in. went, you know what? If I'm gonna be a singer. I'm not going to be rewriting stuff too much. Or I'm going to hire writers. Well, I can make a living doing this. And I'm a musician. I love playing music. And I love playing. Again, it might just boil down to the same thing like like me. I just I just love playing live. You just love, love playing, playing live. live. So I think for me, it will never be considered selling out. In the sense that I'm a music fan. Mm-hmm. I've played everything from ska, reggae, hard rock. Pop, um, any cover band sense metal. Yeah, you've you've yeah, I've, done I've a done lot of like, different stuff. And I don't consider anything I'm doing selling out. I don't consider any of that selling out. I, I'm having fun. When it stops being fun, it stops being work. Well, then maybe you have a job. Then um, you have to sit down and take a look at yourself and figure yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and then you know what? There's nothing to say. You can't do one thing to fund something else. Like you, you look at um, uh, what's the actor? Um, well, there are a lot of actors with that, um, that perspective on it. In that, I do one for the fans and four for me. Yeah, so I do like I do like an MCU movie, and then I do something very, very, very deep and covering. Yeah, I understand yeah. what you're saying. So is, there's no reason why a musician can't. And it doesn't even have to be, because now you're cultivating an image and whatnot. Um, There's no reason why. Oh, you know it's a good example of that? Look at Kess. Yeah, he does a soaker. There's soaker, but then they still have Big Tatat's Kumari orchestral Who People who don't know, anytime you see Big Tatat's, this is a big thing, it's Kess. Go and see them. They are fucking amazing. They're not exactly Kess, the band. It's, it's uh, I think Riyadh doesn't play with them. But be prepared to see Kess play Van Halen and nail it and play all Toto and 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 uh, 38 Special. And he plays all the good shit that he used to play when ex- he was singing when Woodford. Exactly. And when they were growing up and it's an amazing gig to go. Just go. If you see Big Tatats is on the bill, know that's Kess. They can't advertise it that way. It's Kess. Go and do it. They usually just do it for charity stuff and like weddings and favors and that kind of stuff. But if you make sure and write that down, kids. If, if you if you do see a, a, a fundraiser and Big Tatat's Kumari Orchestral Theater or or uh, it's playing, it's playing, it's band. It's band. Go and do it, and you will be amazed at the musicianship that those guys. I, I I had a meeting with them just this week with some other projects I'm working on, and I told them I was like they they are still one of my favorite musicians. I've known them. 20 it's literally 20 years now and um they still blew me away back then they blew me away and it still blew me away. They, and it watching them play soccer is almost funny to me yeah because you know they can do and and you know what you will never say that Kess sold out Kess he, just he had to make a living Kess went where the money was yeah exactly. and nothing, and, wrong, and with nothing that. wrong with that and you know what they still do their little projects on the side to satisfy the music they love to play so if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. If you have to decide, uh, as a musician, are you doing this for a living, or are you going to happenstance, ride the wave if it hits you? So 
if you're going to do it for a living, you do what you need to fucking do. If you happen to be some velvet underground, artsy-fartsy band or talking heads or whatever, yeah. who probably had no intention of getting record deals and making... And they just happened it, to it, fall it, in and it. Hap- and you, it, it boy fall in your lap, suck it up, do what you can, and then move on with your life. Yeah, uh, is it David or Gabriel Burns? Who runs the actor? David, David Burns, the musician, Gabriel Burns, the actor. Um, I'm sure he has multiple art projects that have nothing to do with music. You just gotta do what you gotta do because he's an artist as well. Yeah. So just do it. that whole sellout thing. That is when those little pull me one fucking fanboys who discovered you before and like to be. Um, they want to keep I, the street cred yeah, behind I, you. Yeah, I. I I knew them when. I don't give a fuck when you know them from. I, I like their music too. And it, j- just because you get something, stop being such a fucking hipster about it. Who cares, you know, I, when you like my like my band's unknown. Well, then you're going to be listening to a lot of shitty bands for a while. Or you, when the band gets good, you're not going to hear them anymore. Exactly. Because the fuck? Good music is good music. Okay. Okay. Well, Mark, it's always a pleasure enjoying Scotch with you. And this is a... This is not great- Scotch. This is bourbon. <laughs> It's always a pleasure having bourbon with you and any drink, <laughs> any drink whatsoever. And I hope, you know, people sit down and listen to everything that you say here because it's really important stuff. Um, we really need to understand, like, what it takes to be musicians. And it's really not that hard. But understand what you're about and just do it. Yeah, I mean... Who cares what people think? You know what I mean? It should be fun, guys. I mean, especially Trinidad needs to be fun. Unless you're playing soccer and that kind of thing. And I would like to think you see, if you're going to be doing it as a job, a full-time professional job, you can have those gigs that pay the bills and have those gigs that give you the thrills. You know what I mean? It, it, you, you, if, they, if they don't happen to be the same one. Yeah. You know? Um, because I, I'm pretty sure all of us got into music not for, um, to make a living. Exactly. I think any musician got into music to make a living. If you go into music to make a living, you're a fucking idiot. Exactly. Right? That's the only thing I can ever think of. You're a fucking idiot if you go into music to make a living. You so get into music preach. because you love music. That's all. You and if you can it. make a living doing it, well done. Well done. Well, if you guys want to hear Mark ramble more on the microphone, he does have his own podcast on GST Productions on Facebook. Look at him up. You can probably hear him once every three weeks along with the other GST bands and they talk music and more stories and more music and maybe one day he'll play Elisa Loeb for us. Who knows? You say. It's a great song. Mark, thanks for having you. It's getting stay. late. You should get home yeah. and um, look forward to having you again sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. I know there was some stuff you wanted to talk about we didn't get around to. That's but okay. Hey, it's epi- content is content. Episode B. Episode. Yeah. We'll have some bonus takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Mark. Take care. Reach sure. home safe. Yeah, you too. Well, you're home. I'm so. home already. <laughs> <laughs> take care. Later. Thank you for making it this far. Really hope you learned something from this conversation and I look forward to spending time with you again. If you'd like to interact and keep up to date with our releases, you can find us on Facebook by searching for The Only General Podcast. We are also on all your favorite podcast platforms, so make sure and subscribe. 